0: all right and i got i got green check marks everything says it's live i got my title page up hey everybody i can see all the people piling in it's great to see everyone here early it's i'm feeling very festive i'm excited about christmas i've got a whole day afternoons worth of uh of guests lined up and our first guest is already here so i'm going to roll uh the intro reel while a few more people here start to filter in And then uh, we're going to get things underway and it's going to be a fantastic show. Thanks for joining me. I'm David C. Barnett, and you're tuned in to Small Business and Deal Making, the podcast, YouTube channel and blog, where I talk about buying, selling, financing and managing small and medium sized businesses while controlling risk. So if you're looking to take control of your future through buying a business one day, or if you already own a business and you're looking to grow or exit, you've come to the right place. I talk about interesting things, I talk to interesting people, and I answer your questions every week right here. So be sure to hit like and be sure to hit subscribe, and let's get to it. Awesome, and uh, welcome everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for the people that are listening afterwards or watching the replay here on YouTube or through one of the audio feeds.
1: Giuseppe, how are you doing today? You're frozen. Dave. I, I appreciate the invite. I'm ex- I'm excited. I I oh, I'm frozen. <laughs> well, yeah, I can see <laughs> I you freeze up? around now. And and so ev- for everyone who okay. doesn't know am you, I, you're my back.
0: You're, you're the franchise
1: guide, right? That that is me. Yeah. I'm uh, I'm excited to be here. I missed last year, so uh, looking forward to uh looking forward to today. How are things preparing for Christmas there in New Jersey? Doing good. We, we got a storm uh, hitting as we speak. So uh, we hopefully we're, d- we're not losing Internet or, or electricity, but usually the connection is really, really solid. So I don't know. I don't know about you, but we're getting our first snow, oh. which is kind of cool.
0: <laughs> we're we're getting a mixture of rain and freezing rain. It started 30 minutes ago and freezing rain is usually murder on wires and poles. So hopefully, all the utilities and the internet stay alive for me to get through this afternoon. I I certainly hope. Uh, We've already got a bunch of people piling in here. We've got uh, people over on LinkedIn saying hi to us. We've got uh, Anthony in Minnesota saying good morning. It's still morning time over there. And uh, uh, Simpo256 says, thank you for the live as well. This is real... This is really awesome. Eight people, yes, and I agree with you, uh, Simpo. It is an awesome group of people to have this afternoon. I uh, The whole theme of this Christmas show, of course, is kind of looking back at the year that has happened and looking forward at what's upcoming. And Giuseppe, you and I have have spoken several times. I've been on your show, you've been on mine, and we often what we talk about is we talk about franchises and stuff. And so. What what can you tell us? What what have you seen in the last year? Maybe some success stories with some of your clients, or some new trends, or something that you'd like to share with us? What's going
1: on in the world of franchising? Absolutely. But before I, I start, I, I know I forgot something. I forgot my spiked eggnog, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to settle ah. with water. It's twelve o'clock here, so it's never never too early. But you know, the spiked eggnog got left behind in the kitchen. So, oh. um, but now it's it's a uh, it's been a it's been a crazy year, and. Um, you know, the franchise world, just like any business, right. Kind of like, you know, everyone wants to know what's hot, what's, what are the trends? And really it it comes down to what, you know, what we've seen is really just the franchise companies have really, you know, taken a step back to see what the franchisees really need. And, you know, I will say not every franchise is built the same, but, uh, you know, taking a step back to see what. You know, if I had to do this all over again, or if I were a franchisee, what would I really need? And we've seen things such as um, franchise companies not only offer marketing, but they've, you know, added a, you know turnkey marketing and a call center so that they've realized that, when, you know, getting all these leads, but no one's there to answer the phone if a franchisee is out in the field. So um, they've really kind of doubled down on, on the support they've been offering. Um, our you know, advice never changes. We always want to find you know you, if you trust the process, and we're going to find you the right fit for you. Um, but yeah, I mean, we we've really seen the support really pick up. We've had companies uh, uh, put together you know a, a big pain point for franchise owners has been finding employees. We have a, mm. a franchise company put together their own recruitment department where you know they help you find both employees and 1099 contractors. So that was you know that was something new and. I feel like that trend is going to continue. So uh, the industry itself is has been doing well, uh, obviously, you know, coming out of COVID. Um, and, and it's been a blessing in disguise for certain companies because they've realized they could do business, in many cases, digitally versus yeah. you know, having, having to do uh, business in person. So there's definitely been some positives. If we, You know, ob- obviously, we don't want to go through that ever again, but there's been some positives of what kind of has come out from that when you talk about uh franchisors setting up call centers and stuff to help answer
0: the phones for the the local locations that was Mm -hmm. the first thing that came to mind was oh that could help with people having a hard time hiring because uh, it it means that maybe if i can't find someone to be a full-time sort of reception or or front end person for the local office it means that you know the the i don't have to worry about inquiries coming in being handled properly and i suppose those people in the call centers are are taking telephone inquiries as well as the online, you know, live chat and email and all that other stuff that happens now. There's so many different ways to communicate.
1: Yes, and you know the the, the cool part about it is that to your to your point, right? It's like, how, you know, how do I find employees? So now this is one less worry. They have the marketing done for me. I don't need a marketing person per se. I don't I don't need uh, telemarketers in the office that we're constantly hiring. So they take that off your plate. The need sometimes for an office. Which is kind of cool, right? So it's like, need an office, but now that the, maybe have a, a small team of salespeople and technicians. They they can go if it's a service type of business. They can go directly to the customer and just a report. You, get you you supply them with a the vehicle and you're done. And you can run the business off your laptop at home, which is really nice. And with some travel, obviously going and see clients and and your employees. So um, you can you can just meet at a local you know coffee shop if needed for your for your weekly meetings. So it really, um, it really keeps the business lean so that you don't have to worry about all these added expense. You don't really have to, to take on. Awesome, more, more people continue to pile in. We got people waving
0: at us all the way from Atlanta. And uh, Kevin is a regular viewer. He joins us from Central Florida. He's down in Lakeland, Florida. Okay. And, uh, and Billy says, first time with you guys, excited to learn. Thank you for sharing from Seattle, Washington. Great to see you again. And and someone from Phoenix, Arizona, no snow here. Uh, yeah, we know that's you know, yeah. Everyone <laughs> people go to Arizona to avoid the snow. That's okay. Well, I'll, I'll but tell how you how hot about. is it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's probably just perfect today. <laughs> right. But uh, so so that's interesting. So uh, basically, what you're saying is that the people that create these franchise businesses and offer them they're they're also thinking about this whole trend towards sort of virtual or flexible work environment right like they're they're creating the opportunity where people can operate a franchise business but not necessarily need to be tied down with an office or something like that is is that something like it are there any big um, and I know you have access to a lot of news and announcements are there any big new different things that you've seen for 2023 that that have made you stop and think hey that I haven't seen
1: that before new things uh i wouldn't say anything new what I, what i have seen um is franchise companies adding additional service offerings right so um and i'm not saying this is you know in, in every case but you know you know for example we had a a franchise company that started with uh, painting of uh, vinyl siding, or actually, I take that back. I think they started with cabinets, uh, kitchen cabinets, and then they said, "Well, how do we u- how do we utilize our technology?" And they said, "Well, we can now paint vinyl siding and the soffits oh, the and same, the gutters with the same equipment and stuff. Same equipment and, and same chemicals, requiring just you know some maybe additional training. And then they took it uh, took it up a notch and said, "Well, can we also restore the roof, assuming it's in somewhat decent shape?" And they you know went ahead and actually you can restore the the roof both with color and texture. So same, same technology and, and, and same chemicals. So I've seen, I've seen that. So not only the support, but franchise, uh, franchisors are coming back saying, okay, you've been trained, you're doing well. How how can we help the, the, the franchise owner make more money? You know, is it, is it going after the, you know, if it's B2C, is it going after the commercial markets? Is it adding additional revenue streams? And we've seen that uh, time and time again, we have one, one franchise co- uh, company we work with added just recently added, uh, they, they kind of do work outside the, the lawn, the irrigation systems. They threw in as an add-on Mosquito Spring as a, as a fourth uh, revenue stream. And a Mosquito Spring in, in general is a, is a franchise in and of itself. So they were able to pro- provide that to the franchise as, as an optional service. So uh, that's a big win for someone that has already invested, uh, invested in the franchise. And then they don't have to actually go out and um, buy another franchise, although there may be in that case, some, some equipment. So, uh, we've seen that, uh, time and time again. Um, one, one thing I, I do want to you know, mention since we're on this show and I want to, you know, uh, uh, thank David. We, we've you know, known each other for several years now and been, been on uh, each other's shows and David's my go-to, you know, I get the question all the time, how do I sell my business? So we recorded a show, I think it was last year, uh, was that topic exit strategy planning. So yeah. uh, David is my go-to. So anyone that talks about, well, valuations and um, how do I go about it? How how long should I own the business? Uh, in some cases, um, you know, David's such a great guy. He may come back and, and ask you why you want to sell it because he's also able to maybe fix some things in your business, which I, I, I know uh, I've, I've heard you've done in the past where maybe the owner wasn't involved as much. And then that person came back and said, you know what, maybe I don't want to sell my business. So this is my my endorsement for David. I You're literally my my go-to because I cover the entire U.S. as well as Canada. Uh, anyone looking to buy a business, I have one go-to, and that's uh, that's David C. Barnett. And I highly, seriously, I do oh, highly well, recommend you. Thank you very much. I'd let me know later where to send the endorsement. Yeah. <laughs> no.
0: we've, got, we've got Billy on who says there's 17 people watching but only six thumbs up. Please hit the like button, everyone. Yes, please do hit the like button. And of course, I, I can see in the corner of my screen how many people are watching. Is slowly creeping up, which is great, uh, as more and more people join us. Is um, so? W- why don't you share with us like uh, um, a success story from this past year with one of your clients? Can you tell us? Uh, obviously, not any names or anything, but I know that you one of the one of the common sorts of clients that you work with are people who are trying to escape, you know, an office career that they don't really like anymore. And you help them to find the right franchise that fits with them. Can you tell us a story of a client success in 2022?
1: Yeah, yeah. Yes, I can. And it's actually in your neck of the woods, which is kind of cool. And, um, young, young gentleman, um, you know, has been in law enforcement in that field for, for many years and just felt things weren't going, you know, just wasn't happy. You know, when you're just not happy, weren't fulfilled. Uh, he had re- reached out to me on uh, listened on uh, one of the shows and said, I, "I I need a change." Unfortunately, you know, he was really close with his father. Um, he had passed uh, about a year and a half ago, and his father had left him an inheritance. And uh, you know, and and with the inheritance, said, "I want you to to this this I want this to change your life. I don't want you to spend this. Not to say he would do this, but I don't want you to spend this on a on a brand new car." or you know, you know, 90 inch television. Let, let's really just, you know, I want you to reinvest and this can change the course of your life. And he really took that to heart, took some time to really just get over. I, obviously he was really close to his father and he, he said, I need, I need to make a change. And uh, we've been, we were working together for several months and he was able to uh, transition from his job. He was thinking maybe doing it part-time, but he just said, uh, he, he's in the executive recruitment space now. And Uh he just loved it so much. And he he just said, you know what? I didn't know a business existed that I can run from home. Um, that really is not, um, not really restricted by territory, uh, that I can really you know work with people both in Canada and the U S and, and help people in their time of need find employment. And he, you know, I checked in with him because every business takes time to, to learn the, the, the system and how it works. And he's never owned the business, but he said, um, his exact words were I, I, I wish we met sooner because this has been just a game changer. Um, you know, he's, he's doing well financially, but more importantly, he's like, I just feel fulfilled. Like, I feel like my life has more purpose. I enjoy it. And I, you know, I wake up energized to go to work. Yeah. It, you know, I, I've known, uh, I've known many people
0: that have been in certain first responder type roles, like being mm-hmm. a police officer and um what uh, it's really important work and the people who do this work obviously uh you know demand our 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 respect and our and our love Absolutely. uh it also puts you in the line of some pretty you know uh traumatic and stressful things from time to time and so i can totally see that that could wear down on someone and make them want to uh to have a change in what they're doing the um uh, you know one of the themes for 2023 is everybody's talking about this recession with the increased interest rates um you know and when you're talking about something like a recruiting franchise it makes me realize you know yes there could be you know people being downsized there could be Mm -hmm. layoffs there could be all kinds of things happening but what that means is it means change and the more people moving around the more people looking for work the more companies realizing that they can now maybe access better quality talent because there's more people out there it bodes well for this guy for being involved in that industry.
1: Well, absolutely. And, and that's the, the best part. It's not just about new openings. It's it's replacement, right? You may have turnover. You may have to, you may, you may have to, you know, people leaving, or you may have to, uh, you know, obviously fire an employer too. So they're always looking for uh, good matches, you know, for the company. Sometimes people been with the company, they kind of lose their excitement for the, for the role or, or for the industry and they decide to part ways. There's people retiring every day. So uh, there's always a need for that, and yeah, we we don't know what's to come. The good the good news I tell everyone is that, and this is how I earned all my my white hairs. Uh, I had black hair before getting into business on my own. Is everything is cyclical, and you know, I worked in the investment world, uh, and doesn't it doesn't make all things better? But you know things uh, you know they go up, they go down. You have up markets, bad markets, and uh, in my personal opinion, opening up in 2007 and 2008, my first franchise business. That was a really rough time uh, to open. Um, we were in the cleaning and, and building service space, but you look for opportunities and those opportunities were in healthcare because these are industries that are not affected yeah. as much by, you know, what's going on in the economy. So, um, you know, there's, you, you know, you, you want to find that right match for you and realize that yes, interest rates will come down eventually things will improve, but the opportunities you know, we've heard people find uh, steals in the real estate market right now because a lot of people are moving out of certain areas uh, such as in new york city and um, in the northern new jersey markets we've seen so there's there's definitely opportunity if you're if your eyes are open and you're willing to look for it you'll you'll definitely find something you know uh i got i got a funny story you want to hear a funny story
0: yeah, i, want to I was <laughs> uh, uh erica my assistant was working really hard to find me some some podcasts to be on and she was able to find this Australian small business podcast, and it, the recording is going to be released after after New Year's. Okay. And uh, I I was like, hmm, I wonder I wonder you know where this podcast lays, sort of in the, in the lay of the land of Australian uh, small business podcast. So I I started googling top Australian small business podcasts. And you want to know an amazing thing that I discovered on one of these lists? What's that? Uh, one of the one of the top Australian small business podcasts is actually the How of Business, hosted by our there friend he is. Henry Lopez. <laughs> and I was like, "Holy cow!" Henry Lopez made number four on this list, and he's not even in Australia. <laughs> and I I emailed it to you, Henry. What did you think when you got that?
2: Well, uh, well, thank you, and I appreciate the recognition. Uh, when I look at my stats, I've known for many years that, uh, and I've spoken to other Australian podcasters, and the Australians love American podcasts. Uh, so, so yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm flattered, but yeah, yeah. Thank you You, for sharing that.
1: You definitely have a better radio voice than me. You definitely have (laughs) the, 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 I have to work on the voice, but you definitely have that very DJ kind of cool voice. So that's my goal. I can do an even even deeper one, but my daughter, my daughter says she
2: won't, one of the reasons she does not listen to my show is she says, daddy, that's not your voice so she doesn't like it that <laughs> that's funny so so for people don't who don't know henry
0: you are the host of the how a business podcast you're also a business coach and and you work with people all over the place um what giuseppe and i were just talking about the
2: year that uh, we've been through how has 2022 been for you and and
0: for the people that you've been
3: working with
2: well it, uh, i was thinking about this and giuseppe and i recently discussed some of this on, on his show on his great podcast Uh, you know, I see, I've seen both extremes. I am seeing the continuation, uh, of people wanting to leave the corporate world and start a first business. You know, that's why we're seeing so much activity and interest in franchises, for example. So I continue to see that very strong in certain segments, like my wife's business, she's a travel independent travel consultant. Mm -hmm. She's had a banner year after two years of doing nothing but canceling trips. Ooh, she has yeah. had a record year. So people definitely want to travel. Conversely, it's interesting. So during COVID, people were improving their homes. So I have a client, for example, a couple of clients who whose businesses are home improvement type, not home services, but home improvements. Mm-hmm. And they're seeing a slowdown because now that money is going to people traveling, right? So there's a shift there that I've observed uh, and then, of course, as you guys were just chatting, you know, the the inflationary situation, the the uh, continued supply chain challenges for certain segments and uh, interest rates, uh, those things are impacting businesses. But overall, as far as what I do, I see that renewed continued interest in people wanting to start their own thing. It's It's interesting because I see a lot of
0: financial statements, you know, from different companies that I'm looking at with people or I'm working with the seller trying to figure out, you know, what's reasonable as far as offering a business for sale. And we've seen a lot, I've seen a lot of businesses, you know, have that big drop because of, of you know, what happened over the last two years and then these recoveries. Mm-hmm. And then I've seen people who've had the big increases, but I've, I've yet to start seeing on paper, of course, financial statements are historical. I've yet to start seeing on paper the the crest off of the people who benefited. So it's interesting that you're experiencing that. And I'm I'm wondering if a lot of, you know, home improvements can be very expensive. I'm wondering if a lot of that was financed through things like mortgages or HELOCs or whatnot. And because of the interest rates, maybe people are a little more sensitive about spending that kind of money.
2: Sure. There's no doubt. Also, I think obviously people were staying at home. And so it was a renewed focus on let's fix up the home, let's fix up the garage, you know, whatever the case might be. Now those budgets are going to satisfying that pent up demand for travel. Uh, Another industry that I'm seeing latent impact on is the restaurant industry, which I, you know, have some experience in the past experience and affinity to, but I think we're seeing now, that the PPP loans have been exhausted and the EIDL loans maybe have been exhausted and we have to start paying them back. We're seeing businesses, Hmm. uh, restaurants I'm seeing that are not surviving. So there's that latent impact that that's what I'm seeing in the restaurant industry as well.
0: Uh, But most importantly in Florida right now, how's the weather because Dallas is freezing apparently. Yeah,
2: it is. David reports
1: that Dallas is frozen. (laughs)
2: which is where I used to live. It is 78 and sunny. We are getting a cold front tonight, so it might drop it down into the 50s this weekend, so we will be shivering.
0: All, the whole continent, across the whole continent, we have crazy weather. We have rain and freezing today, so
2: hopefully the power lines stay up for this night.
1: Do you have a heater in, in Florida? Do you have a heater in your home? We do, but it
2: hasn't been turned on in a while. Uh, it's part of the HVAC system, right? So when we turn it on, it's like,
1: what? Make make sure it works. <laughs> yeah.
0: So, OK, so, you know, it's it's um, it's interesting because I was uh, out shopping with my daughter the other day and I was thinking about, you know, sort of the hangover from the pandemic time and the effect mm-hmm. of, on businesses. And you're saying you're seeing some restaurants close mm-hmm. um, at the at the height at the the shopping center that's closest to my house. At the height of the closures, I think I counted about 23 empty spots. Wow. And I think we're down to 18. So some new things are appearing, mm-hmm. um, but I, I, I find it interesting. I know, and of course, the shopping center, this is a very expensive s- space, right? Square footage. And so I'm, I'm just, I'm keeping an eye on it because I'm just wondering how long it's going to take for things to backfill. And, you know, in this day and mm-hmm. age of online shopping and everything, I'm just, I'm wondering how long it's going to take.
2: Yeah. Well, since like like Giuseppe was talking about, it, I was listening to you guys chat about commercial space availability. I think that now that is creating opportunities in certain areas, right? I mean, mm-hmm. the prime real estate is still the prime. As far as retail goes, those A shopping centers other than malls, at least in my observation, is still doing fairly well. But there are opportunities in you know A minus or B spaces, I think. Right. right? And, and that's, there's definitely an opportunity there. But the challenge is, of course, as always, landlords, I think, are still holding tight. So they're not quite, you know, how that is. Sometimes we wonder, how do you, how can you afford to have a space sitting empty for so long? But the math that they do is different than the math that mm-hmm. I do. So, but I think you're going to see some opportunities there for people that need retail space.
0: It, it, it's interesting you, you talk about that. I, I remember uh, I have a, I have a, a, a a good acquaintance, a friend that I've known now for a couple of decades, he's a commercial real estate agent. Mm-hmm. And I remember one day he told me that the mm-hmm. the worst thing in the world of a commercial landlord is to actually lower the cost per square foot on a contract somewhere. That's right. And, and he was telling me that um, these landlords would rather keep an inflated rate and give mm-hmm. you 18 free months at the beginning of a lease
4: mm-hmm.
0: than lower the cost. And lower, Yeah. Yeah. because because whatever rate is printed on that lease, those are the things they bring to the bank and that's what they value they're building on and that's what they can borrow on, mm-hmm. even if they're giving away you know a year, year and a half of like free rent to someone yeah or it or tenant
2: improvements is another thing that or works.
0: yes, or cash back right. with tenant improvements, but they just <clears throat> don't want to change that that uh, uh, par value
2: rate, you know whatever the mm-hmm. the sticker price is for that uh, commercial real estate, yeah. the price per square foot. Well, they're that's also calculating yeah. the future of that, right? If I if I locked them in at a five-year with a five-year option, well, that's 10 years now that I've got them locked in at a, what they would feel is a below market rate. So they have no opportunity to recover that. Mm-hmm. Right? We're seeing the flip side of that. One of the businesses that, that I'm in now, I'm a minority partner in a, a franchise called Office Evolutions, which is a shared office space, co-working space. And the benefit there, conversely, is we had to really offer low rates because we opened in the middle of COVID, June 2020. We opened, yeah. Uh, but because we do memberships and not long-term leases, we've been able to turn over those memberships at higher market rates. If we had locked in five-year leases at those lower rates, we'd we'd be out of business,
0: right? Hey, that's I'm, I'm glad you brought up the the co working space because uh, you know, I'm I'm curious to know how uh, the, I mean, obviously it was new in 2020, so you would expect to have some growth in 21. Um, Has the type of customer or the way the customers use the space changed dramatically since the concern over, um, you know, know, catching the illness has has changed over the course of the time?
2: Yeah, no, definitely been impacted. I think the thing, however, David, has impacted us most beneficially is this hybrid model that I think we're settling on not, so we have two clients traditionally who has used executive suites is that small solopreneur or two to five person business, the broker, the small attorney, the small CPA. That that's been the typical consumer of this. But since it has that model has evolved into not just private offices but co-working spaces, shared spaces, day offices, that kind of thing. We're seeing the you know the person that may not be able to work from home as efficiently, but wants a suburban location to go to, mm-hmm. not a commute to the city center. So that's that's key. Or, you know, they just need a place to meet a client periodically mm-hmm. that's not their home office. But we're also then, in addition to that traditional small business, we're seeing the corporate employee that now is getting a stipend to either go get a co-working space or even a private office, because they're because home doesn't work for them, right? So it's it's almost like uh, now these big companies almost can become part of the
0: revenue stream via the expense accounts of their employees. Correct. Just, they're, they're cheaper. Right,
2: they safe, absolutely places. cheaper for yeah. them. Yeah. yeah, I'm seeing, I mean, worse from anecdotally, what we're seeing is, and from what I'm hearing, is a lot of corporations settling on that hybrid model. I, I personally think <laughs> over time, corporations are going to want what I label as more transactional workers to come back into the office. Because I, I also, right. I believe that productivity is when you've got people in the office, but the, the, the employee has had the leverage here, mm-hmm. right. Of saying, no, 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 I don't want to go back to that. So I think they're settling on a hybrid model, but you know, you're talking about New York city, Giuseppe, lot of companies that I'm familiar with their corporations they've given up a lot of that lease space that was costing right. a lot of money and going to you know what used to be called in the big four, the big eight, the hoteling concept where right. uh, every department has a week during the month that you would have face-to-face mm-hmm. or you can schedule a cubicle if you need to come right. in. Mm-hmm. So that model is, I think, where corporate America is settling and the remote, allowing those remote workers, typically more knowledge workers to have that option of either working from home or in a nearby co-working facility. So.
0: It, it's interesting because I, I got a sneak peek of this actually well before the, well before the pandemic, back when I used to work for American Express, mm. they, they moved from a very large spread out. This is the Canadian head office. They moved from a very large sprawled out spreading campus, uh, in a very suburban area into uh, a tall office tower where they it's took a few floors mm-hmm. and they made some radical changes. One of the changes is that the there are certain employees that just need to be there. They're they're dealing with data systems and you know, card account numbers and stuff like that. Those people have to be in a controlled environment there every day. But for everybody else, they were there are already a large degree of flexibility with with work from home. And I remember my the guy I reported to and the person he reported to, they went from having their own cubicle and and you know a spot to park in an ocean of parking Mm -hmm. to being given two days a week where the company paid for their parking and if they wanted to come in any more than that they had to pay for the parking Interesting. so so they only had that's they only had free parking two days a week and so they were told these are the only two days we expect you to come in make your meetings on these days otherwise work from home and some people were very purist in their office Mm. attending uh habits and they Mm -hmm. paid their own parking uh, other people took full advantage of it, but I, I saw that um, that was probably that what, well, that would have been in 16 and 15 and 16 is when
2: I, they were implementing that, Yeah, but it,
0: but it was something that's going to be, it's going to be interesting. Yeah.
2: yeah. I mean, I think Google announced, come, right? uh, Google announced about a year ago, uh, it was in an article, their chief of real estate or whatever, that they're looking to displace about 20% of their workforce, at least for the foreseeable future out of an office. Now that's, when you're talking about Google's numbers, that's a lot of people that are being, you
1: know, put uh, either home or to some kind of shared office space scenario. And we got to test it, right? They said that you're not efficient when you, when you're, when you actually work from home and because of COVID, they got to actually test it. And they're like, wow. And I think, I I think I use zoom maybe once or twice before COVID (laughs) literally maybe once or twice, Google meet here and there. And now I think I use it five to 10 times a day. So it's a, it's pretty amazing how it shifted. And people are like, employers are like, wow. Employers yeah, I mean, employers it's are a, good, it's a good
2: point. I mean, uh, obviously we have been using it for coaching for quite some time mm-hmm. before that, but it really has, what it has done, I think that's a lasting impact on business, including mm-hmm. small business owners. And we have to look for where there might be opportunities there is now it is acceptable. I mean, you're talking about even in an industry like the medical field yeah. where they had been playing with and testing a remote or what teledoc kind of, now it's, like accepted. So it helped us make that shift to perfectly acceptable now to conduct all types of business over Zoom or whatever other platform that might have previously people might have been skeptical of. Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's true. Um, and I know, um, you know, I I work from home. My office is here in the house. But um, I was uh, on a trip down to South Florida. I was down oh, in Miami it. back oh, in April. Right and um and one day I did need to work so I, I went to a co-working space in South Beach mm. and the place was packed I mean <laughs> it was it was vibrant it was like a buzzing beehive uh, I yeah. mean, the desks were all full and the offices were all taken and there were these little uh rooms you could go and, and if you wanted to do like a zoom call privately almost like a, I, w- I would call it like a telephone booth kind of yep, little right. <laughs> spot where you could sneak away from other people and uh I, I thought it was a really cool Cool spot. It was different for me to have all those people around, uh, but I could definitely tell that uh, you know th- their business was doing well because the place yeah. was full.
2: Yeah, we have those phones as well. But if you touch on something that's very important and, you know, so I'm a person that loves working at home. I've been working at home for 20 plus years. I love it, but I'm more of a lone wolf type. My my business partner on many ventures, David Begin, is the opposite. Like we, we argued for a long time and when we had the car wash business, we need an office, we need an office, like we don't need an office, but he needed that. But I think that most people do need that social interaction. Plus, Mm -hmm. you touch on a key thing. It's why incubators are so successful, right? That energy that you speak of, David, that is so powerful. As business owners, as entrepreneurs, it can be a very isolating thing. So coming together with a group of people, I think, is very energizing, if
1: nothing else. I yeah. would agree with that hundred percent. It, it's nice not to have a commute, but yes, I do miss that, that interaction. That, that like interaction. let's go grab a coffee, you know, you know, two, two deaths over. So I, I do miss that aspect. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Um,
0: so, okay. Last time Henry, you and I were speaking, you were talking about how you were working with your coaching clients and you were talking about with me a little bit about the framework within which you work with uh, some of the small business clients. Do you have uh, a, can you have any success stories from 2020 that you can share with us about how some people have, have grown
2: or evolved maybe in their business? Yeah. I wasn't thinking about specific uh, names, but yeah, we've had some successes. I have had some successes, you know, mostly I either coach someone who's starting, who's looking to start their first, first business okay, or that early stage business owner. That's, you know, trying to get over that initial hump. Right. Uh, But I'll tell you, things haven't changed much. For that person looking to start a business, it's that mindset more than anything else of overcoming what I've always identified mostly as that fear of failure. Mm. Uh, But getting through that and that planning phase is critical. Uh, So yeah, I've had a couple of successes there this year. And then on the business side, it's a matter of, again, how do I implement the right systems to make this thing work? And move forward. One of the biggest things I think is separating the idea from the business model. Mm. And I think that's where sometimes people get hung up because, you know, we've we've been fed so much, especially I think recently on find something that you're passionate about and the money will come. I think that's a bunch of BS to a big extent. (laughs) I think you do have to enjoy what you do. But if the business model doesn't work, all the wishful thinking and passion in the world isn't going to make it successful, right? So, uh, so yeah, I don't think I'm answering your question, David, but yeah, I've had some, some, some great successes this year, fortunately in that regard.
1: Good. Can I, Good. can I add to that? Cause I think yeah. we, we say we're saying the same thing. And then, uh, um, I, it's funny, the, the whole passion piece, I, I get that every single week. And I too was looking at things I truly was passionate about in soccer. Like, should I own a soccer retail store? Should I, should I buy a stadium? Well, that wasn't in the budget, but you know, what <laughs> what should I be doing? And Someone broke it down for me. And I I don't remember who it was, or maybe it was a group of people in a meeting, but basically they said, you know, your, your passion, your why was, was my family and spending time with them. So I'm like, so I took a step back and said, what vehicle will allow me not to be there every single day so that I can run my business and, and, and live my life. And because of that, I did find that that first business, I became a soccer coach. And that to me was, was my, it wasn't about making millions and millions of dollars it was about spending time with my kids because as they become teenagers, they don't want to spend as much time with me. So <laughs> I had a small window and they're like, do it now while well, they want to spend time with you. And I became a coach and the business I, I you know, worked, worked hours, but it was flexible. I was able to do the things during the day. So uh, the passion piece is really, what are you trying to accomplish? I think we're focusing too much on what you enjoy doing and, the last thing I'll say on that is sometimes when you focus on the thing you're passionate about, like soccer, and that becomes your day to day, then you start to burn out because that was your, your thing to get away and and, and not Good think point. about work. And, and then you end up kind of burning out saying, I'm doing this every day. It's not as enjoyable, but, um, we say, and that, and that's a, you know, Henry and I get along because we say the same thing. So it's, <laughs> it's just literal, literally we, we, we are, in the, you know, we, we literally say the same thing about passion, about finding a business and, uh, Maybe that's why we get along so well, but yeah, uh,
2: no, I agree. And listen, I, the way the thing I also always say is
1: I'm passionate about business. That's what I'm yeah. passionate about. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll let you guys continue. I wanted to thank you for the, the invite. This was, I, I missed last year and I was bummed. I'm going to go grab my spiked eggnog. Maybe I'll join again later, but <laughs> I want to wish you guys a, a Merry Christmas, happy new year to everyone listening, happy holidays. And uh, looking forward to talking again you know, in, in the near future. And, Coming back on the show, we'll have some some new topics to uh, to talk about.
0: Awesome, good to see you, man. Have a great thank time. you. Have great to guys. Bye, to Giuseppe. All right, bye bye. You know it's uh, it's so true what uh, what Giuseppe was just saying about about family and stuff because mm-hmm. um, you know I was always very passionate about taking my kids on on trips and things in the summertime, and I always kind of looked at the summertime as that time where, you know, school's now been removed from the calendar. And so we have this flexibility to do whatever we want and go on whatever adventures we can. And I was very fortunate in 2019 to have planned out a big cross Canada train trip with the kids. Oh, wow. So uh, we, we were gone for 21 days. We went out to the West coast, Vancouver, Banff, Jasper, all those places. And then took the train all the way back. And I'm so fortunate because. Uh, You know, if we had delayed by one year, of course, 2020 was the next year and the the train stopped rolling for a while. That's right. But um, but this summer, this past summer in 22, I again, I planned out the summer with all of these adventures and things that I wanted to do with the kids. And then my son made a competitive baseball team. Oh, Wow. And so then it's like, oh, and so I had to basically tear up the whole schedule because all of a sudden now we're, we're traveling to tournaments. And we're going to places and we got to be here. We got to be there. And we've got so many nights a week. We're committed to this. And then I kind of realized, you know, that whole time of my life with the kids is now past. My daughter right. next summer will have a part time job and, Jeez. you know, he'll be in baseball again. And so it's like it's like, you know, anyone out there listening who has younger children, like you got to. Make it a priority to create those memories when they're young, because as they get into teenage years, uh, the you know you lose part of the controls. It's literally absolutely. like the wheel gets taken from your hands. I know your your daughter's older now, so you've lived
2: through this part. Oh, absolutely! No, I couldn't agree with you more, David. How old are your kids now? Uh, well, my son just turned 13, and my daughter will be 15 in the spring. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. know. Let's. I was always very conscious of that we only had one child. We we wanted more, but because of complications, had the one child. But you know, to that point, one of the things that that I did that I don't regret is that it's as I was leaving my corporate sales career uh, in the 2000 2001, is I bought an RV. Uh, certainly, at that point, I was I couldn't stay at another hotel room, right? I was so burnt out from travel. I had done 2 million miles on American Airlines alone, right? It wow. was just one of the airlines. Uh, but I bought an RV and we took extended trips. This was, my daughter was preschool. So it was very fortunate, a lot of control. And so we did that for two years. And I, I, I look back at that time with, with um, cherished memories. But yeah, I, I think that as it relates to that, one of the things I always tell small business owners, listen, you're gonna have to make some sacrifices in that startup phase but that has to be part of the vision, the passion, the goal, how does the business serve you? And part of it is does it allow you those freedoms of time to go spend yeah. it with the people that you love, right? Cuz it goes extremely fast.
0: Absolutely. We've got uh, we've got a few more comments here. Um, Fubar Temp says uh, you got to love recurring revenue under contracts like the members of the co-working space obviously. And then we have uh, David says, my dad wants to retire and sell me the assets of his solopreneur sales business, hmm. name and online reviews. Any tips for finding arm's length price for assets when the key man will be retiring? Well, um, you, you, the, uh, what I would recommend is is that the two of you together should go find someone who can put a price on the business and make sure you decide beforehand what kind of price you're looking for. Uh, Because are you looking for a a fair price or are you looking for (laughs) a reasonable price that might help you out? Or are you looking for a price that might help dad's retirement out? Figure out what angle you're looking at, um, because if you go together and engage with someone to evaluate the business, you can certainly transmit some of those things. And there's different definitions of value and different sort of assumptions that can go into the valuation that can steer it one way or another. And so, you know, when you're talking about something like this, obviously it, you can't just put a dollar or something like this, you know, tax authorities are going to have a problem with that. But the realm of reasonableness can actually, it's not one point, it's, it's, it's a space. And so figure out between your dad and you what you're aiming to do, uh, and then go looking for someone who can help you out with that in mind to give you some kind of documentation. Uh, if you ever need it, after the fact, if someone ever wants to look at your transaction.
2: Agreed. And I think this is the kind of business, David and David, that uh, lends itself to an extended perhaps transition period Mm -hmm. if possible, right? Because it is so much apparently in in, uh, the value is in your dad's name. And that's the affinity that that clientele has. So the value is in most effectively transitioning that customer base, that client base to you. And to David's point, from a taxation and value per, uh, uh, perspective, it might be that it's you know one of those models where you pay a certain small amount front and then a revenue share over time as he transitions those clients to you. Yeah, exactly, exactly.
0: Um, Billy, uh, you know, says agrees with us on what we're saying about time with the kids. You got to spend more time with them when they're young. I I fully agree. Uh, Dave says, "Thank, uh, thank you for the for the comments. Very helpful. No problem, David. Um, and so, uh, your I believe I heard on one of your podcasts, your daughter's moved on to university and everything. Are you going to be able to get together with her for the holidays? Is yeah, the she she graduated. Uh,
2: absolutely, she's here now. Actually, so we're okay. very fortunate. That's been another one of those benefits. The corporation that she works for." Uh, allows her to do remote work. Again, they're, they're doing this model that I referred to where they schedule meetings maybe once a week or so forth, but otherwise she's remote. Uh, but uh, she graduated now two and a half years ago. She lives in Manhattan and works for a corporation there, and I'm helping her build her side business on the side. She very much, her, her passion is fashion. Uh, she's working for a retailer now in a corporate planning department and learning lots there. But she, her passion is a vintage clothing uh, business. And so we've been doing that on the side. So I've been it, helping it, her with that.
0: You know, it's interesting because in preparation for today, uh, I've been looking up different news articles, right? So that, you know, we don't have any, any moments of nothing to talk about. But it's funny <laughs> because one of the things that I saw come up in one of the searches I did is that uh, it was a survey of people asking how they were planning to deal with inflation right and how are you planning to make ends meet with with a greater inflation and there was a surprising number of people who actually indicated Mm. they were going to engage in some kind of side hustle or get into some kind of business as a way to try to hustle up some extra cash to pay for things and i would imagine a place like new york city is a very expensive place to live Um, and so um you know what uh like how quickly is she going to do this? Like how, is this a passion
2: thing or, or, does she, or does she, do you think she, you know, needs to get the, the cash flow rolling for herself? Right. So we're building it the way that I would recommend somebody build this type of, of a side hustle because she, she wants to keep her corporate, job for a number of years to learn and to get that mm-hmm. experience and of course for the stability of it, right? Namely yeah. benefits and healthcare care benefits and and the pay. But uh, the end goal would be for her to have a physical retail location somewhere in Manhattan, right? So signing a five-year lease and the whole bit. But that's a huge uh, step to take. So in the meantime, between online and pop-up opportunities. That's where she's been building the brand and a following. Because I think building the following is one of the key components initially that then she can announce, okay, I'm about to open my physical location. Come see me. Otherwise, you're not a needle in a haystack, but you're you're out there amongst many competitors trying to get people to flow in through the door. So there are these opportunities that exist in all places, but certainly in a city like New York City, and specifically in her segment of vintage clothing, there's a a place in Brooklyn that facilitates these. They have a permanent location. You rent a booth essentially on as you know as as you can do so basis, you know, first come, first serve, but she'll do weekends. And so she's been doing that for the last couple of years to understand the model, to understand pricing. Even some merchandising. And so that's what she's been working on and learning. Kind of like a farmer's market of other kinds of merchandise. Yeah. yeah I mean, the yeah. whole, the whole, this, this really relates to the whole MVP approach to building a business, which I am such a proponent of. Yeah. And I think that it can be done in just about every industry. Listen, it, if I'm going to go open a car wash, I can't start with a pop up, right? I have yeah. To build a car wash. But it, in every other business, I can probably start small and scale over time.
0: It's interesting that the first time I noticed a real tie in between retail and social media, I think was with food trucks. Mm, because, sure. I, because every time you see one of these food trucks or trailers, they've got their their Instagram or their Twitter or everything all on there. And I began to realize that people would, if they really liked the food, they would follow them Absolutely. and then see the posts like today we're over here, today we're over here. And so that they could actually follow these food trucks around to different locations and I can definitely see with, with, a you know, what she's doing is akin to a food truck. It's like mm-hmm. only available
2: that's momentarily right. as it moves around. So that's, that's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And there's so much to learn there that she's, I mean, right now she curates the inventory herself. So that doesn't scale. So the, the next step is, okay, now how do we, how do we get this stuff wholesale? No, that's a whole another level of commitment. And so that's kind of where we're going to venture into in 2023.
0: You know, speaking of coaches, we, we have a coach of coaches who's joining us right now. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, well, here is Mark Mawinney. Mark. Hey, guys. Hey, Henry.
2: Hey, Dave. Inclu- including my
0: coach. <laughs> Hi, Mark.
5: Yeah. Hey, Henry. Good to see Mark, you. Mark see you. is the
0: host of the Natural Born Coaches podcast and a good friend of mine and um, and. uh Recently just moved back to town. So I've I've, Ah. I've been been able to renew my, my occasional uh, getting together and having a beer with, uh, with Mark recently, which has been great.
3: I made Dave promise not to tell any stories because we just got back (laughs) from a trip to Niagara Falls. There's a, We'll stay away from that. We'll focus on the business stuff. What, what happens
0: in the Niagara Falls stays on, stays on Instagram. Yes, right?
3: exactly.
2: Or goes yeah. over the fall. You know, Speaking of kids, Mark is a perfect example. You've got a, uh, how old is your boy now? 14. 14. Yep.
3: Time flies. He's a high schooler, and uh, I can't get over the as mentioned to you. I think Dave, the change in social life between middle school and high school is like like he had friends and did stuff in middle school. Now I feel like I'm an Uber driver, um, <laughs> you know, and and uh, but I don't mind. I, I enjoy it, but it seems like his social calendar is quite full with stuff going on. So yeah, it's uh, he's growing up.
0: That's awesome. And so uh, Henry and I were just talking about uh, the year that was and things that we're looking at moving forward. What's, what happened for you in 2022? How has your business changed or grown?
3: Ah, geez, it's a good question. uh, Because you guys probably found this too. And with all everything going on with COVID and stuff like that, I'm trying to keep the year straight. Did that happen in 2020, 2021, 2022? Um, I would say with my business, uh, really, uh, I'm grateful that I have certain disciplines I do all the time, like daily emails and consistent podcasts and stuff, because that kept me on track when the world was going to hell in a handbasket <clears throat> and everyone was freaking out. I'm like, well, got to do my daily email thing. Got to do my podcast. Got to do my Facebook group stuff. Um, I don't know if there's a whole lot of changes, really. I mean, I increased my fees again, which I try to do consistently. That's a win. And, Are you um, saying
0: you're one of the causes of inflation?
3: <laughs> yeah, I had to do that. Um, I won't get into um, politics too much, but uh, <laughs> due to some of our leaders, I had to make some changes with my pricing. Um, <laughs> um, I, I, but even in non-record inflation times, I think it's important at least every six months to a year to evaluate your prices. And I always have a little tinge of hesitation because you're thinking, eh, mm-hmm. it's going well now. I don't want to shoot myself in the foot. I just make the change before I can change my mind. And then I've never regretted it, knock on wood. So
0: one Um, of my emails
3: that came out this week was about price
0: increases. And mm -hmm. it was uh, I I did relate to that. I said, you know, uh, in the world of business, we try to help and solve other people's problems. We try to serve our clients and we want, you know, what's best for them. And in exchange for delivering that, we we're able to get, you know, provide for ourselves through our business. And so you know that, for your, from your customer's point of view, obviously they would like to ha- keep more money in their pocket. And so there is a, a real conflict that occurs in a lot of business owners when it take when it's time to stop and examine your pricing and make that decision of, that you need to increase something because, you uh, you know, oftentimes you don't want to do it, but to your point, you have to because certain things are outside of our control and it, you know. If you keep going to the uh, to the grocery store with the same $200 every week, pretty soon you have to leave something on the shelf.
3: And the other way to look at it, uh, too, is you're improving year over year. So hopefully uh, you're a much better coach or entrepreneur than you were a service bride or whatever uh, December of 2021. And hopefully you'll be further along a year down the road. So that has to be reflected in your pricing.
0: What what economists would call a hedonic adjustment.
3: Yeah. Hedonism, I'm
2: all for it. <laughs> yeah, this <laughs> yeah. topic of price increases is critical, guys. It's one of the things I was going to bring up, Dave. So I'll be interested when you guys continue discussing that, because again, I, just about every business owner is hesitant and afraid of what price increases might do. Um, but but it's but it's critical that we do so, and I think our I think our clients and customers will understand. Now we do have to be careful. We have to be aware of what what competitively where are we placing mm-hmm. ourselves? Are we pricing ourselves out? But, you know i just had this discussion with a client of mine who's a wholesaler and, and worried about whether his retail customers were going to balk at it and part of what he did is kind of revisited what is the value that he's delivering to your point mark yeah. what is the value he's delivering and maybe enhancing that so in that in that particular customer's case a food re- uh food wholesaler what could you possibly maybe add and embellish in the way of of merchandising and helping the retailer move that product. So where can you add value? But you have to be okay with you might lose some of those clients that are price sensitive, but your profitability is what you have to worry about because your costs have gone up, right? Yeah. yeah. We, we got cannot com- keep absorbing that. We cannot as business owners. Yeah.
0: We've got a comment here from the, pro- from the profit answer man himself, who says everyone is facing inflation. You have to ensure your prices keeps up with your cost increases mm-hmm. because, hey, if you end up not making money and you're out of business, you're not going to be serving anybody. So Great. you, you got to stay in business.
3: And you guys can see what's in the background here. Um, I'm not <laughs> afraid to admit that I love money. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs are afraid to talk about it. It's a taboo subject. And that's part of the reason I have this here in my background is I want my clients to be comfortable, the coach I'm helping with. Hey, I'm in business. I'm here to make a profit. It's right. not a charity. It's not volunteer yep. work. And uh, ironically, I find that the people who pretend that they don't like money are usually the wolves in sheep's clothing, and there's plenty of them mm. in the coaching world. Oh, put your wallets away. You know, I'm just doing this for the betterment of mankind, and I'm here to, you know, impact a million lives uh, by the time I'm done or whatever, but some of them are the, the uh, greediest MFers out there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Agreed. If you don't love money, it won't love you back. says, profit answer,
2: man. That that's profit right.
0: answer man sounds pretty smart. Maybe we'll have to have a longer conversation with him maybe later you know,
2: I, I think it ties to the conversation we were having a, a bit ago about passion, right? It's, it's I think it's tied to that thing. Oh, we're supposed to be blind, not worry about the money, the money will follow. You know, BS. It, we, we we have to set up our businesses to make a profit because that's as Mark said, we're in business to make a profit. Yeah. Now we serve our clients, we provide value, but in return we, we need to make a uh, a profit and support and provider for ourselves and our families the lifestyle that we wanted. Otherwise, let's go get a job, right?
0: Well, well, this is exactly it. You know the 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 great thing about the free market system is that everyone is free to spend their dollars in whichever way they want. Mm-hmm. And if you set up a business and dollars start flowing your way, it's because you are solving the problems, or you're making people happy, or you're providing something of value to other people, and they're they're letting you know through like basically like an election like those dollars are votes they're saying yeah we we like what you're doing we we encourage it we want you to do more and if the dollars don't appear it means you're not delivering which That's means right. you you need to repurpose yourself and if you can't figure out how to do it then you know selling your hours to an employer to go get a job like you just said is 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 one of the things that happens yeah.
4: you know, yeah. one of
0: the one of the big things that everyone's talking about for 2023 is the you know, possible onset of a, of a recession. Well, mm-hmm. you know, interest rates have been very low. Money's been flowing very freely. And so those, those dollars that people are voting with in our free market system have been very easy to come by in a low interest rate environment. And as they become more valuable as interest rates go up, Um, it becomes even more important to make sure that you're operating properly to to your point, delivering value, finding out a better way to serve people. Because if those dollars keep arriving, then, then that's the encouragement you need that lets you know that you are delivering for the people you serve.
3: Uh, I had Bob Berg on my show years ago, I think it was 2014, 2015. And uh, he wrote books like the go giver and, you know, some great work, but he said something in that interview, which stuck with me forever. And it's what you said, Dave, he said, um, Money is an echo of value. So basically, you put enough value out in the marketplace, it's going to be reflected in your bank account um, or in your wallet. Uh, the other thing that comes to mind is um, I'm trying to look at be a glass half full type guy here with this uh, R word that could be coming up in 2023. Mm-hmm. I, and I think back to uh, my real estate days. I, I sold real estate back in, you know, for a decade in the two, the what's the early 2000s, the aughts, or is that whatever we're going to call whatever it? Whatever we call them, yeah. Um Yeah. So uh, I remember speaking with agents who were selling back around like the early 80s 1980 early 80s when interest rates were just going crazy it was like your mortgage was like a credit card now i was in diapers back then Uh, but they uh, told me that they had their best years at that time because what it did was it chased off a ton of peers or competitors Mm -hmm. and the strong survived and then they were able just to scoop up all that extra business so I see the same thing in the coaching world, too. I think these challenges will chase away the people who are a little lukewarm or maybe not making it, but the those who ha, are doing well already could potentially do a lot better because there's a lot less competition out there.
2: Yeah. Couldn't agree with you more. And then so one last thing I'll say and I'll drop off here, David, is to this point that we're talking about, you know, the question I've been getting a lot, as we all probably do, is, is this is this a good time to start a business? And I have always said, it's the best of times, it's the worst of times, mm-hmm. right? There are some obvious businesses that maybe this isn't the right time. Well, you, you would not have started a full-service restaurant in the middle of the pandemic, right? You mm-hmm. you probably wouldn't have started a brokerage business right after the financial crash in 2008. But other than those obvious things, we, we never know, right? There, isn't, there are no guarantees. But we look for, as Mark is highlighting as well, those opportunities that will present themselves regardless of recession or not. We do have to try to forecast that and what the impact might be on my type of business. But there are going to be opportunities just like there always have been. And in my opinion and experience, there's never been a better time because of all of the facilities, access to information, uh, all of the leveling of the playing field that exists, regardless of higher interest rates. It's a wonderful time to start the right business. And with a little bit of luck and some planning and hard work, I think we all have tremendous opportunities still, regardless of whether we do go into a recession or not. That's my opinion.
0: Yeah. I, and I echo it. I, I, I've i always said that, you know, uh, every business is a unique thing, it, whether it's the market or the product or the service or who is operating it. And, uh, you know, even when times are tough, there's always going to be someone who needs some kind of problem fixed. Agreed. And they're willing to pay for it. Henry, but before you head out, where can yes, people sir. find you online if if they're interested in hearing more and learning more?
2: Yeah, everything is at thehowabusiness.com. That's where the podcast is. That's where my coaching services are. And, and as I mentioned when Mark came on, Mark was, is and was my coach. That's who I learned a lot of how I package and offer my coaching programs now. So thanks, Mark, for your mm-hmm. guidance over the years. Uh, so yeah, the com is where you can find me. And David, thanks again for having me on. This is always so much fun and great discussion. You know, that's the thing, coming back to what are we passionate about? We can talk about business all day long, right? I know. So I plan, so, to. That's I plan exactly, to. Exactly. That's right. exactly what you're doing. So thanks for letting me uh, be a small part of this. Uh, appreciate it. You guys have a great holiday. Then we'll, we'll chat with both of you, I'm sure, very soon.
3: You too, Henry. Same thing, Henry. You, you too. You. Have a great right. day. Have a great yeah, weekend. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.
0: Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So, yeah. so um, so as Henry was just saying, you know, you help coaches with the business of coaching. And I I, I always find this interesting because um, there are a lot of people out there who say, oh, I'm really helpful. I can help people out. Uh, I want to be a coach. But uh, we're just talking about having a successful business. You want to share a little bit about about the biggest problem that a lot of these coaches have when they meet you?
3: Um. I think the big issue for a lot of coaches is um, to, it touches on what you're talking about. They don't realize that it's actually a business. So yeah. they go through and get certifications and um, they're getting all this training on the art of coaching, which, hey, that's important. You know, it's good to, to know what you're doing. Uh, but then they hang their shingle up. They get their website up, social media accounts and wait for the business to roll in, the clients to knock on the door. And it just doesn't happen that way. Uh, so when I started coaching in 2014, I assumed uh, just like a lot of new coaches still do, that the majority of my time would be spent coaching clients and a little bit of time with marketing and tying up loose ends, but it mostly would be on the art of coaching. And it's actually the flip side of it. Most coaches are really spending the majority of their time finding clients, and you're not working with clients all day long and stuff like that. Um, Hopefully you can have a system set up that you're not spending too much time in trying to find clients and beating your head against the wall. Uh, but yeah, that would be the big issue. They don't realize that there's two sides of the coin, being a good coach, but also being a good marketer, bringing a good, a good salesperson, really. And if I had to put my money on um, one of two coaches, a coach who's an excellent coach, but a mediocre marketer, or the other one was a mediocre coach but an excellent marketer. I'd put my money on number two all day long to be successful yeah,
0: yeah it's, um, and, I've, and I've heard people you know, talk the same way about like consulting and, and, and about a lot of stuff it's it's you spend the majority of your time trying to get the clients. I remember I was working with uh, I, I was helping someone out who was trying to build a business in in the consulting world. And they were basing their rates based on their experience as an employee. They were thinking, well, if this is what I earned as an employee, uh-huh. then then I should be earning something that relates to that as a, or charging something that relates to that wage. And I had to show them like, no, because when you're an employee, you don't have to find the work. You just show up. The employer gives you the work. You just do the work. When you're a, when you're a consultant and you need to spend, to your point, 70, 80% of your time looking for work, it means that how do you then get paid for all those hours it's reflected in that price this is why people that do that might work in a job for 20 or 30 dollars an hour when that same type of work is being done by a consultant and all of a sudden it's like 200 300 400 dollars an hour it's it's got to do with the fact that um, number one when you hire the consultant you don't need to the, the, the person who hires a consultant doesn't need to take on all the apparatus and burden of having an employee and they're just basically hiring someone to do a specific problem for them. It's like it's like sniper shooting, like get this thing fixed. Yeah. And so then it's not necessarily even about how long it takes. It's what does it cost to get this problem fixed and what is fixing the problem worth to me? It's a completely different way of thinking about the problem. And this would be the same way with the coaching. You know, if one of those coaches you're working with can help somebody, you know, fix a problem in their life or fix a problem in their business that can be so incredibly value valuable that it, it warrants, you know, whatever fee it is that the, the people end up charging.
3: Yeah. One of the challenges I find for coaches um, is keeping the faith as you're doing all that stuff, like the content creation and getting your message out there that you're going to be paid for it. And it's tough for a lot of coaches because, If they were being handed money every time they send an email to their list or every time they put up a post or did a podcast or whatever i think they would be a lot more excited and they'd have a lot more energy but you don't always see it right away like you know what it's like because you've done so many youtube videos and everything else sometimes there's a a, there's not a direct path you may see something six months down the road from something you do today and uh, that took a little bit for me to get my head wrapped around it because back in my real estate days when I would have days when I would list uh, you know, four or five houses, assuming they're priced correctly, I know out of five houses in that market at that time, three to four of them were probably going to sell or they were going to sell just going by the stats. And it was much easier to see, oh, there's money in the bank. I made money today. Uh, coaching can be a lonely existence. You're in front of the laptop by yourself, usually working from home and you're doing all this work, but you're not being paid right away. Uh, Dave, you know, uh, my twin brother, Matt, he has a podcast editing business yep, and he has a couple of people working with them. And uh, when they edit a show, they get paid X amount of dollars for editing that show. They get paid right away. It's not like that in our line of work with it. So it's a little bit of a, a Jedi mind trick. You have to play with yourself, uh, that didn't sound great, but you have to play with yourself. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't mean that. Um, you have to play a Jedi mind trick on yourself uh, whenever you're doing this work that, hey, I'm getting paid for this right now because you're not going to see it necessarily right away.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and I mean, I can attest to that because I've been making videos now for such a long time. Um, it always surprises mm-hmm. me when um, I, I can sometimes observe people discovering my content. Because hmm. what, what will happen is someone will put a comment on a video and I, I won't recognize their handle, they will be like, oh, that's a new person. And then over the next week, I might see that same person's handle appear uh, multiple times as they put comments on other videos. And hmm. sometimes they'll end up putting comments on videos that are years old. And then they might end up showing up as a client. They end up sending me an email and they want to work with me or they enroll in one of my programs or something. And then I I think to myself, you know, part of their pathway that led them to decide that they wanted to to pay David and work with David to learn more or have something done by David had to do with the video I made four years ago, Yeah, which in that moment when I made the video, of course, I was doing it because I wanted to teach and I wanted to promote myself and I wanted to get myself out there. But I had no affirmative, definitive accounting of the value it was ever going to deliver to me when I made it. It was... Just part of the work that I pushed out there, part of the plan, just like you're talking about, like having a plan and and you you teach people to do things like emailing and being active on social Mm. media and all these kinds of things within a certain structure so that so that they can then be present when those people go looking for a solution to their problem. Right.
3: Yeah. My whole thing in a nutshell, if I had to actually. I do have it on a sticky note just to remind myself. <laughs> I'll tell you what I have on the sticky note for the coaches to be successful. I mean, the three things that they have to answer, obviously, who do you help? You need to know yep. that and it can't be everybody. Unfortunately, a lot of coaches want to work with 8 billion people in the world and that's not going to happen. Um, how do you help them? So uh, what are your offers, your products, your programs and stuff like that? And finally, where are you going to find them? You know, if you can answer those three questions and then you're showing up every day and you're putting a good message out there that's helping people you've got your offers all in place it's almost impossible not to uh, get results from that um, usually if the coach isn't getting results it's there's something missing out of those three things it's not dialed in properly often it is number one you know with who and, and, and niching is an overused word in the coaching uh, world but there's a reason why niching niching is used so much because it is important
0: yeah, and what, when you're very, very specific about who you serve, and this and this goes for every business, if you're very specific about who you serve, it becomes even easier and easier to actually identify those people, mm. or to create content or put something out there that's easy for those people to discover.
3: Yeah, well, it's kind of like uh, Avatar. You hear people, not the movie, um, which I have no desire seeing Avatar the sequel. But anyway, <laughs> everyone talking. What, did
0: you like the first one?
3: I was not an Avatar guy um and then when, from what i've seen i know this is a hot take some people might try to cancel us for for discussing this but what i've seen with the um trailers and stuff for the new one it like looks like crappy video game type graphics and things i hear the story's not great either so anyways. well
0: i i ha- i've only seen one commercial for it but it's funny that you mentioned avatar because this morning when i was getting my hair cut so i could look my best today mm-hmm. so I'm really, <laughs> yeah really the barber and i were talking about disney world and the subject of the uh, animal kingdom park came up and oh, he was, was saying that you know there's a big section of that that's all about avatar and he was describing one of the rides and uh just how amazing it was because you could get to you it's like a simulation of riding on one of those flying okay. winged beasts hmm. and he was just like telling me how amazing it was
3: yeah so um it's now a movie review show we'll get into the hits from the holidays and the flops um oh with avatars a lot of coaches struggle because they're told that they have to have this ideal client avatar ica and they think that that means that's the only person they can work with. So mm-hmm. I help um, you know, women who are uh, empty nesters in their 50s. They've been married for 25 years. They now have free time on their hands and blah, blah, blah. And, and they're expected to fill out all these um, different things like what, what's this person's name? Give them a name. What are their hobbies and everything else? Um, the problem with that is it, it, they start to think I can only work with uh, that type of person and i don't see it meaning that the the value i see in an avatar is it helps with the content creation so right. when when you're creating content you're keeping that person in mind it makes it easier to speak to that one person instead of trying to just shout out to a sea of people doesn't mean that you have to work with someone that fits all that um, I, and a perfect example a past guest on my podcast gave was uh, with homer simpson even if you're a casual simpsons fan haven't seen many episodes Most people can uh, know if Homer's married. Obviously he is. They know that he has three kids. They know uh, what he does for a job. Uh, They know where he spends his free time uh, at the bar drinking duck beer. (laughs) And they know a whole bunch of things. They know he likes donuts and everything else. Uh, not that you'd want homer simpson as a client but it makes it easier to create something if he was your target client with that in mind with it so that's what i would recommend for avatars is don't pigeonhole yourself that you have to work with just that person but it will help with your content creation
0: yeah no it it, it makes good sense and and i i recall back when i first got started uh, with creating online videos um i and i don't and i don't know if you're supposed to do this, but I, I created three avatars. Mm. And so one um, and I'll describe it to you guys. One, one is a 70 year old man who, uh, you know, is looking at getting out of his business. Another one is a middle aged man who doesn't like his uh, um, doesn't like his job and wants to buy a business, but has a family and a mortgage and everything. And so uh, needs to be able to find something that will make money from day one. And the third one is someone who's new to the country who can't take advantage of their education and credentials from, from where they used to live. And so they need to get into a business of some kind in order to support their family. And so it's, it's almost like when I make a video, I think of one of those three characters. Yeah. Um, and so I, so I can like talk to that person and, and try to be as complete in my messaging and my, my logical thoughts that, that as they flow, uh, in what that person would want to hear.
3: And it's great for you too, because you're not going to ever get bored. Uh, you're not talking about the 70 year old avatar 365 days of the year. You can mix it up and uh, switch things out. So I'm all for whatever works for your business. Uh, so, you know, if something works for you, run with it and uh don't listen to dave and i you know necessarily 100 percent, but maybe you pick up a few things that you want to put into your your business and go with it there uh, i find with me i've got probably a mount rushmore of a few people that i follow i pull some ideas from them but i don't agree with everything uh, that they say necessarily and i put my own spin on some stuff so that for me that works
0: what um your podcast when did you get started was it back in 2014 yeah november 2014. And and it's grown quite large now, hasn't it?
3: Yep, yeah, we're almost to 800 episodes. And, wow, uh, that's
0: that's incredible. And mm-hmm. and and um, you know what? I, I guess for anyone out there who is who is interested in any kind of business that would involve that kind of content creation, what what where would you point people to to kind of start off,
3: or or how maybe is it different today than it was back then for podcasting? Yeah. Uh, You know, it's funny when I started my podcast in 2014, I probably talked to you about this uh, back then, but um, I thought I was late to the party. (laughs) I I said, oh, man, uh, because I learned from uh, John Lee Dumas and Kate uh, with Podcasters Paradise. Of course, uh, John has had and still has uh, Entrepreneur on Fire, and I think he started in 2012. And I thought, oh, man, I "I wish I just had started in 2012. I'm way too late for this, but I will get her going and see what happens. Now I have people saying to me, well, yeah, Mark, it's easy for you to talk about podcasting and get clients from it, success and stuff. But you've been at it since 2014. It's too late for podcasting. and It's like that... um, you know, old uh, Chinese proverb: the best time to plant a tree. You know, yes. the second best time. I I think that uh, it's still good to go with podcasting. Um, I will say the asterisks on that as a word of warning: uh, you can't just slap a podcast on the Apple Store, get it out into the world, and expect clients to come rushing in. I feel like uh, there's too many general podcasts that are in some ways vanity projects so people are just putting it out there with no real focus like a general success podcast or something like that and i'm not saying that their heart isn't in the right place but now, more than ever, you have to have a very specific goal and a business behind it, too, that you're driving people somewhere mm-hmm. from it. So They like your podcast. They listen to it. They subscribe. But then what do they do? How do you bring them into? I mean, at the very least, you should be getting them onto your email list. And then I'm a big fan of email marketing. And I know you are, too. So, yeah, don't don't shy away from podcasting. It's not a get rich quick, though. A lot of people think, oh, yeah, it's great. I'll get clients rush in right away. It's, no well, it's not.
0: And I think it's interesting because earlier this year, I think it was back way in the spring or maybe it was even in 2021, I forget. I, I made a, a video about, um, about the marketing funnel of my business. and I, I put that on my YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. And there's a, a very clear distinction between someone who has a podcast as a business versus someone who has a business and uses a podcast for marketing. And so you and I are both in the boat where we have these, these online media things that are driving people to come and do business with us in a different way. It's not that you put out a podcast and all of your revenue comes from, you know, advertisements and sponsorships and things like that. The the purpose of your podcast is to be able to meet people like, like Henry, who was just on and, uh, and work with him
3: yeah exactly so i've made some great connections i do a lot of joint ventures a lot of my jv partners have come from being on the show mm-hmm. uh, or their new jv partners who one of the perks i give when, with my joint venture package is they get a a guest spot on the show uh, right now where it's a weekly show versus daily for the first year when I did it, I did it daily and I had more openings. Obviously now I only have 52 openings a year and I actually have even less for guests because I do some solo shows. So it's really tight there to get a spot on the show, but my joint venture partners get a guaranteed spot on it's a perk with that package. So I don't um, I have a, a main sponsor uh, Pinnacle Brands that, uh, that is on every single episode, the opening ad and at the end. And stuff like that, uh, but I do generate a lot of revenue from the show. That's not necessarily from my coaching, but from people who are collaborating with me.
0: Interesting. You know, um, speaking of speaking of podcasts, uh, we have someone who's just just come in, uh, who actually has two cool. two podcasts. Mm-hmm. And look, look who it is! It's uh, it's the Profit Answer Man.
3: Hey, Rocket! Live
0: live from the from the comments.
4: Great to see you both. Happy to be here. Ditto. Hey, Rocky! Merry Christmas. Merry Happy Christmas. New Year.
3: You're in Philadelphia, right, Rocky? No. Close, real
0: close. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. Yeah. actually, yeah. That's oh, yeah, is
3: okay. It was just a bad Rocky movie joke, but okay.
0: <laughs> we we were just talking podcasting, and you are you and I first met because uh, I think you invited me to come on to the Prophet Answer Man podcast. Uh, but yeah, you, you have another podcast too, and so. Uh, we were just talking podcasting. What? Why don't you let everyone know the stuff that you talk about
4: on your shows? So I have two podcasts. I did the first one wrong. That one is called Richer Soul. I still have it. I still love it. But I didn't, I, I, I didn't set it up correctly. Um, and we can talk about that. The other one is Profit Answer Man. And on Profit Answer Man, we just help small business owners um, understand their finances and to be more profitable,
0: and and you are work under the the profit first pro, uh, program that Mike McCallowitz put out that famous book that a lot of people have, have read.
4: That is correct. I am one of his certified profit first professionals, and we teach and help people implement the system, and then we layer on so much more on top of that. Okay. And and what went wrong with Richard Soul? So let me ask you a question. What is richer soul? Like, when you think of that, do you have a clear idea of what we do there, who it serves, and what it's all about?
0: Well, I thought maybe, you know, certain music enthusiasts from the
4: 1960s. Yeah. See,
3: <laughs> I thought you said richer soil. So I thought it was like an agriculture. Uh, <laughs> see, <laughs>
4: these are all the problems. <laughs> it wasn't clear in in the branding what we did and who we talked to and who it was for and and i think that created an issue um now once you get on the show you do but honestly it's been it's been quite eclectic we stay in in major themes but it is still eclectic i still have fun i still do it because it allows me to meet people who would never give me an hour of their time who charge tons of money for an hour of their time but they come and they chat with me they send me their books and it it creates great conversations great relationships and so forth
0: see i've listened to it many times and for everyone for everyone who wants to know it it's it's basically what you know, it, you, you, you try to tackle that existential issue of, of what to do to make your life feel fulfilling and happy beyond the success of business and money.
4: Correct. Yeah. And the original tagline was, you got rich, now what? Because there's so many rich people out there and they're like, my life is miserable. I'm like, stop whining, fix it.
3: <laughs> no money, no problems. Yeah.
4: Yes, more money, more problems. <laughs> so
0: we're, we're looking at the year that's gone by, uh, Rocky, and I'm wondering if you can share any success stories that you've had with some of your clients, maybe maybe people you've helped out with Profit First.
4: You know, I and and this happens to multiple clients, and it's usually about 18 months after they work with us. The conversation goes something like this, because we track their cash flow. We track how much money they actually have in the business and so forth. And at some point, we'll congratulate them because they hit a milestone. It's like, hey, I don't know if you noticed, but you've got six figures cash in your business. And and invariably, they're all like, "I've never had so much money in my business. What am I supposed to do with that?" And <laughs> we usually tell them, you know, we'll build up a a fund inside the business to to weather a storm. Yeah. But beyond that, then we tell them, take the money out of the business, go find another stream of income, whether it's real estate, passive investing, um, buying your office building or the building you're in, or go buy or invest in another business, do something else. A
0: diversification strategy.
4: It's a diversification strategy. So I think that's the biggest thing we like to help people do is to build large reserves inside their business. Because the number one thing I've realized is entrepreneurship is a roller coaster ride. Mm-hmm. We're all going to get punched in the face. It's a lot nicer okay. when you get punched in the face to have a nice big cushion of cash to soothe you through the problem.
3: If any of them are stock rocky, I'll give you my address. They so can send it up this way <laughs> to Canada and uh, I'll gladly uh, take it. Yeah.
4: Well you know, Mark, that's the other question we get, and they're all like, "Well, I, I want to save on taxes, so i'm I'm going to spend some money so I can save on taxes and I tell them exactly what you just said. Go ahead and send me a check mm-hmm. and we'll give you a nice tax deduction, and I promise to take you out to dinner every month. <laughs> Uh, beef, I,
3: I'm going to skip out because I, w- I don't want to take up your guys' time. I'll tell a really quick uh, tip. and story. I did not come up with this, but just reminded me, Rocky, when you said it, if anyone's ever struggling with getting something done, like let's say writing a book and they just can't seem to do it, um, one of the best strategies I heard is uh, you choose a cause or maybe it's a politician or something that you absolutely detest. So let's say, for example, if you don't like guns, um, write a check to the NRA uh, for whatever thousand bucks, ten thousand dollars, whatever it's gotta hurt, and give it to a friend. So in this case, I'd say to rock your Dave, not take the NRA out of it, but whatever cause I hate, um, is there a, some sort of socialist organization in the States will say. And I'll say, guys, if I don't have my book out into the world, buy My birthday, June 27th uh, of 2023, I want you to give this $10,000 to uh, AOC's campaign, we'll say. (laughs) And I can tell you that book is going to be out into the world, guaranteed. So there's a motivational tip before I uh, scoot and hit the road. But um, yeah, Dave, thank you for inviting me on. Rocky, it was good seeing you. And yeah, Merry Christmas to everyone watching as well.
0: Mark, if people want to tune in and listen to your show or learn more about you, where
3: should they go? Uh, Naturalborncoaches.com. Also, would love to have people in the Facebook group, the Coaching Jungle. We've got about twenty-four thousand coaches in there now, and that's at dotcoachingjungle Awesome.
0: Well, good to see you, Mark. Merry Christmas, oh, man. Have a ditto. good. We'll, we'll see you again.
3: Guys. Yeah, we'll talk to you guys next year. All right. bye Bye.
0: Bye. I think that's a it, funny you. idea. Other people in the in the comment section think it's pretty funny too. Yeah. I
4: I tell people that. Do it, you? It, oh yeah, I, you know, because on the other podcast, it's like. Sometimes you're dealing with parents who don't, you know, they don't fill out their wills. They don't do all this stuff. It's in being in the sandwich generation. We're like, look, stop arguing with your parents. It's Christmas but Sunday, right? Sit down with your parents at Christmas and go, hey. I know we've talked to you about this in the past. We're not going to bother you about your will, your advanced directives, any of those things. Just understand when you pass away, we're giving your money to AOC and we're sending your ashes into the Atlantic Ocean (laughs) because whatever. You'll see how fast they get their stuff done. (laughs) There you go.
0: We have we have a question for you from Brett, who says, Rocky, what do you consider to be the key to
4: success beyond money? So I think the biggest problem that we all face in life is we didn't decide on who we wanted to be and what we wanted to do. Mm. And we aren't living in alignment with that, right? You you go, we're told, right? Go to school. Okay, now you got to go to college or depending on how you grew up. Oh, you have to go work here. Or you have to go do this or oh, you're smart in math, be an accountant, right? They're like, we hate accounting. Um, But they were told to do something and they never questioned it. Or you start getting into life and you fall into the drift. You know, life takes you here, life takes you there. You weren't intentional in saying, this is what I want from my Mm -hmm. life. So I think a big thing is the first step is to sit down Forget about what's happened in your life and say, what do I want? Like, what do I really want out of life? And define it. And once you define it, understand that it's the definition of today. I'm guessing, David, if we looked at you 10 years ago, you probably had different ideals. You had Mm -hmm. different vision, different. So this is going to change over time. But I think at least if you start your definition, now we have a target. I can tell you if I have a target, there's a good chance I can come close to it. But if I don't have one, then I'm in the drift.
0: Yeah. So you're talking about intentionality. And, and it's funny how often this comes up in conversations just every day with me. Um, and, and you know, it seems to me that a very small percentage of humans <clears throat> are introspective, meaning they think about themselves and their lives and and they think about how they think. And they try to understand themselves. And the vast majority of people simply, like you said, go out into the world and react to things and often react to things the way they were programmed to without ever really considering why they say or do or think the things that they're doing. And so, I I mean, I would agree with you big time on the intentionality stuff. A big part of my regular MO, which happens this time of year, is to think about the upcoming year and what I want to do. And I was actually just talking with one of the earlier guests about how summer travel with the kids has suddenly just changed for me it was always a big thing now that the kids are teenagers that kind of have their own agendas of what they want to do that's kind of fallen away from my my purview now but um you know i was really 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 tired of feeling stuck in 20 and 21 because of all the travel restrictions that were imposed you know for borders and airlines and all that kind of stuff and so my big goal for this year for 22 was to get out into the world. And I set a goal to go and travel. And amazingly, I was able to meet you, which was one of the highlights of the year. What like because I ran into you in Florida in September.
4: You did. It was great to meet in person. I, I, I've lived on Zoom for three years, and it's nice to add that human touch to it and to, to get out and to see people in person and. And do that. But I I will tell you, I do love Zoom because I can go around the world in a single day, which is phenomenal. And there's something weird about Zoom time. Like in Zoom time, if somebody's two minutes late, they apologize. Right? But in the real world, people are like 20 minutes late to the appointment. They don't even apologize. They don't even call and tell you you're late. You're stuck sitting there. You know, I'm five minutes away. Yeah, that means you're 20 away, but whatever. (laughs)
0: I think it's because we expect Zoom to be like television. You know, when we were kids growing up, if, if the show was supposed to start at 730, it was supposed to be at 730. If it was late, there was a problem.
4: <laughs> and I, I mean, you know, it's efficiency of time, which is our most precious asset. And are we using it in the best way that we want? Exactly. And you know what? Taking a step back, though, because within your business, people buy and sell businesses, right? Because they yeah. I want to get into a business. Has Giuseppe been on today?
0: Yeah, he was the first guest.
4: Yeah, he was. A, so, and Giuseppe does this right. Giuseppe goes, "Well, why do you want that business? Like, because it looks sexy, or because it actually fits with the way you want to live your life and be part of your life?" And it's the same thing when you exit a business. What are you exiting to? Yeah. Like, what's your next step? Have you thought through that and made those kinds of decisions?
0: It's fascinating that you bring that up because over the last few weeks, I've been recording these holiday chat calls where, you know, people were able to sign up uh, and get an hour consulting call with me at a big discount. And I record the calls. And the, the reason why I offer people the discount is because ultimately I get to share those calls with the public. And uh, for anyone who's watching who, who doesn't know about this, if you want to hear those holiday chat calls, you need to go over to uh, davidcbarnettlist.com and sign up for my email list because uh, starting tomorrow, Christmas Eve, and going for 10 days every day, another one of those calls will be released. So you'll be able to hear a real consulting call between me and a client and one of the people that called in he works in a business and his aspiration is to acquire the business the owner is 80 years old and has nothing outside the business and does not want to entertain selling and so his call with me was like what do i do like like you know do i continue to work on this relationship or do I move on to another another opportunity like what happens because obviously humans have limited life. this person is not going to live forever and and to pass on while you are operating a business leaves a huge burden on the people that you leave behind But you know the the, the challenges of that instantaneous transition and the, the gap in management knowledge and all that kind of stuff. And so it's, it's one of these cases where this gentleman just doesn't have anything else going on in his life.
4: Well, was that by choice or is it just like, you don't know. Right. And, and that's the question. Yeah. Like, I don't know.
0: Yeah. And, and, and I, I don't know either, but um, having things, designing your life, deciding what is important to you. These things are all very, very important. And um, yeah. Yeah. So, so on your podcast, one of the things that you finish with every time is you have a, a great little clip of music that comes on and then you say, now we're going to, you know, understand, you know, the secrets of life. So what are, what are the, some of the most popular ones that uh, people have shared with you?
4: I, I think, um, having an abundant mindset yeah. is one of the biggest things is practicing gratitude. Like all oh, they go together, abundance, gratitude. Uh, meditation kind of within that theme of things is one of the biggest things. And one of the other questions I ask is, you know, what do you tell an 18 year old? Don't listen to the adults, (laughs) right? (laughs) Define your life. What do you want? Go after your dreams, figure it out. Don't get stuck on somebody else's railroad track of what you're supposed to do with your life.
0: Mm. Yeah. Great advice. Great advice. Um, and so how about for next
4: year? What do you got coming up next year? Anything exciting? So, I mean, our business is humming along wonderfully. And, you know, it's funny cause I heard, um, was it Mark talking about, you gotta be doing marketing all the time. And, and that's one of the things I always struggle with, you know, how do you keep the marketing and production in line? Um, because if you have too much marketing, then you end up with too much. To do, and then you can't deliver to your clients, and then you lose all your clients. So it's it's keeping that in line. So I think for next year we've got that dialed in relatively well. Um, we're doing the course next year, which is the big thing. We got a lot of people that come into our uh, sales process that aren't big enough yet to work one on one with us, but they need a tremendous amount of help. And so we said. What can we do to help them? And so we we've created uh, a whole offering for those people to to help them and make wiser decisions till they get to the point that they do want to work with us one on one. So that's how, the big. How big, push. how big
0: typically are the clients that you're working one on one with?
4: Usually, our one on one clients tend to be in the seven figure range. Um, some of them might push up into eight figures. It really depends on the business. And we do have some in the six figure range. Uh, but if you, if you asked what is the, the sweet spot, it's, it's the seven figure business owner. So one to 10 million. Yeah. It's, it's
0: when you get to the point where there's enough cash flowing and presumably you have enough of a team built up that the people are doing a lot of the, delivery and, and you know, service work with the clients that you really have a machine that you can stop and start tinkering with and make adjustments to to really optimize.
4: Correct. So we always, we believe that every business is a math equation and it okay. starts at the beginning with whether it's leads or website visits or people walking in your front door. And then it goes to, well, how many of those people buy? How often do they buy? What's the average sale? Which tells you what your top line revenue is. And then what's our cost of goods uh, giving you gross profit? And then from the gross profit, what's our overhead look like? And then that gives us our net profit. And then once we know our net profit, it's how much is the owner taking out of the business? What are loans? debt service looks like, accounts payable, accounts receivable, we can sit down. And if a business is well run and well documented, we can see all of those. And then we can start playing with them. Hey, well, we could do this or this, which one will actually bring us more money? Well, if we model it out, we can tell you, we can reverse engineer a business to say, how much do I need to be able to support this? So it's playing around with all the math equations there and having fun with them.
0: We we are hearing a lot about what potentially could be coming for the economy next year. And we've certainly seen interest rates go up. Has this had an impact on on the number of new people looking for your help? Or, or are you seeing the, with the people you're working with how those rising interest rates is having a big impact in their business? You mentioned finance costs. Those must be going up for some
4: people. So we're seeing a couple of things, and we've we've been planning for this for the last six plus months. Number one, build cash, Mm. right? If we have reserves, we can weather a storm, we can pivot, we can figure out what comes next. Two, where is your customer in all of this? So the conversation this morning was our customers are looking at their stock accounts, not being comfortable, not willing to buy from us. So it's also them. What's happening in the economy beyond your business that is affecting those customers? How will a slowdown affect them? There are some businesses, right? The dollar store is going to go through the roof if we go into a recession. Walmart's going to do well. Certain midline stores may may suffer, right? But your luxury brands will probably do okay depending on, on who they're Clientele are, so mm. I think it's understanding all of those. So yes, we are pivoting through all that. We find for us, we're not worried about next year because usually when businesses start to struggle with cash flow, they are more open to change and getting help. So we assume next year our our uh, opportunities will go up. COVID helped us in the sense that it it brought more people to us who said, "I've been struggling for too long." This is my wake-up call. I always thought I could sell my way out of it, not always. (laughs) And so, it does. But it's better to prepare and be over-prepared and remove as much risk as you can, so that when it happens, and it's going, something's going to happen, right? For the eighty-year-old business owner, it might be health, right? For somebody else, it might be a divorce. For somebody else, it just might be the economy. I don't know what's going to happen, but life happens. Let's prepare I, for it. Yeah.
0: <clears throat> this is – um, I, ma- I made a video earlier this year about business, and it, w- it was titled something like you don't know what's going to get you. Uh, you don't know what's going to come up, but we know that there are things that happen. And the whole idea about being prepared for anything, it's funny because I remember there was this funny – tv commercial that used to be on uh i think it was from the emergencies measure branch of the british columbia government or something and they were advertising how to be prepared for a zombie apocalypse and and the reason why is that they, they would have all this stuff about you should do this to get ready for zombies you should do this to get ready for zombies and the whole thing was because if you're ready for zombies you're ready for anything
4: mm-hmm.
0: right fires floods earthquakes what have you right and um and that is the key, right, is, is to be prepared. And in the business, we were talking earlier today about profitability. You were making some comments when we were talking about how a business needs to make money. Not only does a business need to make money, a business needs to become more resilient and stronger over time. And, you know, at, at the risk of losing some people by throwing out some some accounting terminology here, you know, you need a stronger and stronger balance sheet over time so that you have the, a better and better foundation that you can fall back on. And that means over the course of time, you want to reduce your debts, you want to increase your cash reserves, you want to do all those things that makes you more and more resilient over time. Uh, a business that just gets by eventually will meet something that causes it to close.
4: It will. Unfortunately, most people don't look at the balance sheet. And on top of that, when you run the balance sheet, everyone looks at it as a static piece of paper at a static piece of time. And that's the wrong way to look at a balance sheet. We look at balance sheets month to month over a period of time to see what changed. And the problem with that is it's like finding where's Waldo in the picture, like, you know where did the change happen what what changed and it it takes i think a little bit of discernment and understanding to figure out how to watch the change in the balance sheet understand what caused it and was it good or was it bad mm. and and that is not easy
0: and if it's an error or not
4: well there's errors all the time bookkeeping like i you just we assume that there are errors All we're looking for is directional accuracy and that we're about 80% of the way there. This is why I do something very different. So with profit first, it's bank account based. Right. I actually, every month I have my my business owners read me their bank balances because number one, they know then that I'm holding them accountable and I'm watching it. Well, I track their cash in real time because the books could be fudged. They could have problems. They could be inaccurate. They could be untimely. But I can track your accounts and I go, what happened to your profit? Why are you off 30000 this month? Oh, you took money out of the business. Did you tell me you were going to do that? Mm-hmm. Would you spend it on? Was it useful? You know, Or I can see the tax payments. We can see how these things are going on. We can see the changes over time. And I, I just find that to be... Much better because unfortunately, if your bookkeepers keep creating fraud, I wouldn't catch that. But if I watch your bank balances, I'm like, hey, what happened to that hundred thousand dollars that you had before
0: and And so for those who don't know in the profit first system, you create multiple bank accounts each with a different purpose. And so if the this is what allows you to kind of have that, because, because I've, I've often said, you know, if you just run a business by looking at the bank balance, you're going to miss out on these potential liabilities that aren't even recorded on the, on the balance sheet, like your upcoming tax bill for the year that isn't complete yet. It, that doesn't appear anywhere until the end of the year. But in this system, you keep setting aside money every month for that bill so that when the liability does come due, you've got it. And so by looking at that balance, you can see the preparation for the bill that has yet to come due.
4: Correct. And we can tell if they spent something they shouldn't have on something they shouldn't have.
0: Yeah. And, and so and how do people react when they've been caught with their hand in their own cookie jar?
4: Usually it's it's a couple of things. They did it intentionally. And okay. so remember so they're
0: defensive which, about it, they're like, it's my money. No no, 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 oh. no, no.
4: Not at all like that. Um, usually it's they're like, oh. Yeah, I bought another property, so I needed the money for 90 days. So we bought the property, I took the money out for 90 days and then we're gonna put it back in. Once we refire, we do that. So there's intentionality like that. Okay. Sometimes it's, I was short for payroll. Okay, now we have an operating expense problem. So now let's address that and talk through it and let's fix that because now you got an early warning sign that that was the problem. And then I've got other people who are like, well, I can't touch that money or Rocky will yell at me. And so it's an accountability, right? They know enough to say, I can't do that. Like it's it's it keeps them honest to themselves.
0: That That's great. And And so do you typically find that people who you are working with will spend a period of tenure with you and then they're off on their own? Or do you have some people that have been with you for for a long haul?
4: We have people with us for the long haul. I mean, let me ask you a question. If, if, oh, what's his name keeps firing people? Uh, Who's the guy who owns Twitter? Uh, Elon.
0: Mr. Musk, yes.
4: Mr. Musk, if he fires his CFO, is he going to hire another one?
0: Well, I don't know with him, actually. I, I I, I,
4: I assure you, he will hire another CFO. Nobody fired, no, no large company fires their CFO and doesn't plan on replacing them. So clients will leave me because they take on the role themselves, or they have grown to the size that they now bring somebody in house. Cause we work virtually in most businesses in that seven figure range don't need somebody 24 yeah. seven, right? They, they need a little bit of guidance every month. Hey, here's what we need to do. Here's how we're going to act. Okay, goodbye. I'm going to go do my work now. Leave me alone. And so, for most companies, that's what it is.
0: This this has been great. It's been great having you on here. What? Uh, so, you know, you mentioned the course that's coming up for next year. What what other changes or, or things have been going on for for you in in your business?
4: So, I'm a big fan of the twelve week year. Okay. And so our first quarter, my entire goal for first quarter is to review everything we do with clients and the delivery and to go out and spend time looking at what other CFOs do and say to myself, are we doing the best for our clients? So that entire quarter will be focused on improving how we serve and making sure that, oh, we used to do these things. I forgot about that. We need to bring them back in. So kind of that good level setting and taking, we every year we try to take our clients to the next level. So what can I do this quarter to do that? Second quarter, the biggest thing we always talk about is taxes. Everybody hates paying taxes. So I'm gonna spend the second quarter really diving deep into all of the op tax savings opportunities that are out there, how they work. I want to find the things that nobody's talking about. Right. I want to find the things that everybody's missing. And I want to, I want to really kind of dive into that so that I can better advise my clients how to appropriately save on taxes. We don't want taxes to wag the dog. We mm. want to be profitable in the, in the, the benefit or the the downfall of highly profitable businesses is they pay taxes.
0: And and you get back to that point you were making earlier about the person who wants to run out and buy something just because they want to, you know, look for that deduction or whatever to, to avoid the tax bill. Paying taxes is a, is a healthy sign that you're doing something right.
4: It is. It is. But here's, here's the dirty little secret. If you have a big tax bill at the end of the year, Do you yell at the government or your CPA?
0: I yell at the government every day. (laughs) They just don't hear me from where I live.
4: Here's the reality. Most business owners, when they get a large surprise tax bill, will yell at their accountant. And so their accountant, for their own sanity, will just say to the business owner, go out and spend some money and you won't have a big tax bill and you won't yell at me, and we'll all be happy. And yet, three months later, when you've got a cash flow crunch, that's not their problem. Uh,
0: We have another new guest that's just came into the into the green room. I'm gonna bring him in here. We've got uh, Ted Leverett. Ted, how are you doing today? Hey, hi, hi, David. Everything's okay. Awesome. Ted, uh, Ted, have you ever met Rocky Lalvani? Do I what? Have you ever met Rocky? Nope, nope, nope. I don't, I don't know if the two guys, if you two, have ever met. Uh, Ted's the business, the the original business buyer advocate, and Rocky Lalvani is the profit answer man. It's good to have both of you on here for my new for my Christmas Eve special. Um, Ted has been working with people, helping them buy businesses, uh, you know, since the nineteen seventies. I think Ted is that accurate?
6: Several decades.
0: Yeah. And, uh, we're just, we're, we're just talking with Rocky about, uh, some of the things that businesses do, uh, because they don't want to pay taxes. And it made me recall all kinds of different stories that you've told over the years of people that you've run into who've ended up in trouble for that kind of thing. Now,
6: yeah, my feeling is don't do anything that violates the law and taxes shouldn't drive a business or a deal anyway. Absolutely.
0: And so Ted, you've had a pretty exciting year. We've been looking back at 2022. Why don't you give us a little bit of insight into what's been happening with you and
6: your clients over the last year? Well, I think the, the most important thing that we really drilled home was the idea that employee talent is what drives cash flow and mm. it doesn't matter the kind of company, it doesn't matter the size of the company. And and the reason I say that is so many people looking to buy businesses and people who own businesses, they're looking at, well, tax returns and profit. And this last couple of years has taught us a few things. For example, in 2021, it was really a good year uh, for me and most people in our industry. Lots of sellers were selling for record prices. Buyers were happy, even if they were overpaying. 22, it kind of began that way. But over the last few months, because of what we see in the news, that settlement has changed big time. Now there's a lot of focus on the risks, the deal making slowing down. The values are, the values are going down. Not necessarily the pricing, and the problem with that is the buyers are coming late to the party, and they don't know the values are going down. This is really delightful for sellers, right?
0: Yeah, because pe- the sellers are trying to hold on to the prior prices, and and what uh, what I've seen is that. You know, sellers are ignoring the fact that uh, finance costs have all gone up. They seem oblivious to that.
6: Well, the other people getting nervous are the lenders, big time. There's lots of deals are cratering. They're just dying on the sidelines. But you know what? There's still lots of opportunity. The sellers just have to price it to sell it.
0: And, and so have you had, um, you know, you're talking about how sellers or, sorry, buyers coming sort of late in 22 or kind of late to the game. Have you had some successes with some of the people that you've been working with?
6: Yeah, yeah. We've had people close deals. We The most recent thing is is one of your neighbors I'm working with up in Canada. We put a couple of LOIs on really wonderful companies that we wanted to buy or he wanted to buy, and we thought we had them in the bag. But... This thing that I, I call business. Well, he didn't have business buyer fever. I was going to say that maybe the people who beat him out with the LOI. We lost two deals to other buyers who were more mesmerized by the business than we were. And they they just outbid. they they they, they yeah they didn't bid more on price, but they offered better terms than we did. One had uh, some a really severe risk. And we just could not accept it as is. We wanted to to protect against it. And the people who bought the company, they were an industry player. That risk wasn't there for them. So they could afford not to ask for any kind of concessions or take backs or earn out or any of those things. And the other one was just a, an all cash buyer who was willing to close instantly.
0: Yeah. Wow. And you know. It, it sucks for a buyer to have that kind of thing happen and and the only consolation i ever am able to come up with to talk to these people is just to say well do you wish you were in their position and and you know and they never say yes i mean they, the reason you make the offer you do is because it has to be something that works for you as a buyer and and if someone else is willing to go out on a limb or do something that you're not willing to then you just It's unfortunate, but it's just, I don't know what else to do. You you have to let it happen, I guess.
6: Well, you know, one of the things I tell clients and anybody who's listening to me, if you lose a a good deal to a buyer, just ask yourself why. And, And if you weren't willing to accept some risks, Let's say high employee or high customer concentration. Ask yourself, what would how would you feel if that customer was lost six months later after you buy the company and the company goes insolvent because you don't have the cash or lending power to back it up? All of a sudden, people snap to a reality and say, "Yeah, I guess I made the right kind of offer. It would have been a pretty bad outcome if if what I thought could go wrong did go wrong."
0: And and you know, it's interesting because there's there's a You know, you can ask that theoretical question, but there's all kinds of real life examples that that I've come across. I, w- I was talking with a gentleman just the other day who bought a uh, flood and fire restoration company, and when he bought the business, he was new to the industry, so he didn't understand everything in that industry. And the seller was very proud of the fact that he did work for 45 different insurance companies, but as A lot of people may know in that industry, there are these third party administrators that manage the claims on behalf of insurance companies. And so in reality, this company was only working with three TPAs. And so after this guy bought the business, he ended up losing the relationship with one of them and five million in revenue fell to 3.8, just a couple months after he bought. And, And so stories like that highlight a few things it's it's you need to build an awareness or build your team with people who are aware and have familiarity with an industry but it also just illustrates the point you just gave like what would you do if in this gentleman's situation um he's surviving but it's meant that he's spent a couple of years working there and he hasn't taken a salary. like and many people can't afford that
6: it takes the fun out of it
0: yeah yeah I, I promised I would be more optimistic. Sorry, everyone. Um, I put out a video this past week uh, about cheerleading people on to buy businesses, and I, I'm sorry, I, I've got to be more optimistic. But you must have some success stories to share with us, Ted. Success story? Did you do you have a, a good deal that you helped someone close this year? That uh, well, yeah, yeah, that worked out well
6: for them so far. Yeah, I have. I have a guy I, I work with. Who's been in the uh, HVAC, you know, heating, air conditioning kind of business for about 40 years. He he lived in um, Ohio. He sold that company. He wanted to go to someplace sunnier. He moved to South Carolina, and really quickly found a wonderful, very long-standing business. Bought it. Got a. Uh, a a small business administration loan for maximum leverage. I think it was something like an 85% loan to value or price. Um, And he's out looking for a couple of more of them. Now that, that kind of thing worked for him there. And I know we're trying to be positive, but that's also a really sucker bet for quite a few people looking for businesses because in the larger cities where you have a lot of searchers, they're, they're outbidding one another and they're making really dumb deals. In this case this guy was in a small market where there was nobody else poking around
0: well and he knows this business right like i mean he's got a big uh home field advantage there
6: he was credible instantly yeah yeah uh
0: beach ns says following you for the realism not the optimism or pessimism thank you very much it's good good to see that uh that uh that that the audience is thoughtful good good work guys um this is okay so so uh what else is going on ted you know we had somebody actually i want to get your opinion on this because i passed this question because i knew that you'd be coming on uh billy was asking earlier if if it's possible for us you know billy's asking what are the top 5 businesses to acquire in 2023 i don't know if 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 i can put you know sort of the categories or types of businesses out there, I kind of of stretch for characteristics when I talk about what people should be looking for. Do you have any uh, thoughts about what some of the best kinds of businesses might be here in the year coming up?
6: Yeah, because it relates to where the biggest risk is. The biggest risk in 2023 is going to be the employees. If you're looking at the headlines, major problems with employees. Hey, look at Elon Musk. Here's a guy who people thought was a genius, and he's fallen flat on his face because he misjudged the employees. So what could have been and maybe was an okay company is now turned into what? A money pit, period. Hey, what? Well, That's Spool. happening in small and mid-sized businesses. When these buyers don't investigate the employees before making a binding offer, well, then they get blindsided. They, they don't know what they're getting. If they can interview, and that's what I tell my clients to do, interview employees between the LOI, but before the binding contract, you can learn from the employees the truth about the company, number one, and you can also get all sorts of ideas about their commitment, their motivation. They'll tell you who the deadwood is. And so it doesn't matter what the business or the industry is. If you find a company that's got productive employees, happy to be there, there's an employee pool available. If, any, if there's turnover, Bingo, oh boy, i should sure be running for that. As long as the business is large enough and profitable enough. Because we have what? Recessions, we got inflation, you know, we have all sorts of dark clouds. So you, the, the business, even with those wonderful employees, it's got to be able to sustain some setbacks. Yeah. Larger and more profitable is better.
0: You think that uh 2023, if if we do end up with what some people are calling for a recessionary time, there could be more people looking for work, does not that not bode well for employers to be able to, to get good
6: employees if they have to do turnover? Talk to just about anybody in business right now, and they say one of their number one challenges is they cannot get those employees. And so right. when they're laid off, who gets laid off first? The worst employees. So I'm not sure I'd be too eager to go out and hire you know the deadwood. Great point. Great point. <laughs> this is why I say, Happy employees because they fuel the cash flow. Bigger business, if it's not bigger, then it needs to be more profitable than its competitors to handle the, hey, there are going to be bumps and grinds. So what? As long as the business can can sustain cash flow, even if it dips a bit, you got a winner. And guess what? The weaklings will go out of business. Absolutely. It's true. It's happy happy days for the remainder. (laughs) Oh, we've got we've
0: got uh, people piling in here like crazy.
4: <laughs> what, what was that, Rocky? Were you uh, I, if you've got people piling in, I'll, I'll take off. <laughs> All right, it was great to see you, Rocky. If people want to
0: want to find you online. Where's the best place for them to go?
4: Uh, podcast is Profit Answer Man. The website is Profit Comes First. Best place to find me, and you know everything Ted said right on the money. You got to look at the employees because that's who creates your cash flow. And if you don't have cash flow up front, you got a problem. But as he said, you know, if you've got cash now and all your competitors start to go out of business, you can buy them up for pennies if you've got plenty of cash sitting on the sidelines. And Absolutely. this is when people take over the market. When everyone else is running, you got to be buying.
0: Wise words, wise words. <laughs> great to see you, Rocky.
4: Great, have a great seeing day. you too. All right, bye bye.
0: And let me bring in our next guest. It's Mike from Exit Oasis. Mike, have you ever met Ted?
5: You know, Ted, I don't know if we've ever met face to face. We've also we've we've obviously communicated online frequently, but
6: uh, I, I don't know that we've ever met before. Oh we've known each other for a long time David. I I've, I've I've sent people to one of the courses that he runs and he's sent people to some of my books. So we're, yeah. we're we're not exactly in the same niche but we're working with the same kind of businesses.
0: Yeah. Well, it's funny that we're we're talking about employees and and we're talking about all this kind of stuff. Mike Mike, I know when in your discussion with uh, with business owners and you run exitoasis.com You talk with a lot of people about all sorts of things in their businesses and employees and turnover. And and it's probably one of the big topics you talk about.
5: Oh, it's a uh, a, a, multiple times a month. It's a, it's a deep topic of conversation. It's a pain point, right? It's uh, and it, it's a change. I think that those of us who've been in business for, for a while are, have seen in just the last five or 10 years, right? Just a, a, a dramatic change in that uh that scale of employee to employer and
6: where the uh where the power is there. David, this yeah. week this week actually yesterday I went online and I typed in employees and I wanted to see what came up. I I copied the uh, and I'm going to do a podcast on this. I copied the uh, links to the first Five zero articles about employees. Of those, two were positive, 48 were negative from every kind of angle, from turnover to quiet quitting to sabotaging the company's employees. Number one risk for 2023.
0: I've seen, I've seen a lot of people talking about this quiet quitting uh, hashtag, and it I find it mind boggling. I don't, I, it is so foreign to me, you know, like everything that I've ever been taught by my elders growing up as a kid and, and my parents and all the, you know, formative first bosses I ever had as a kid, you know, it, it was always this reinforced idea that if you make your best efforts and you go looking for an opportunity to do more and you, you demonstrate that you're inquisitive and you, and you want to learn and you want to do, then more and more opportunities will open and this, you know, this better pathway will open up before you and, and to have people openly talking about conspiring to not do as much as, you know, to do the minimum. I mean, I've, we've all met those people in our, in the workplace growing up in the different things that we've done in our lives. And to your point, Ted, those are always the first people to get, get cut, right? Yep. To, I mean, I can't see how this is, is something people are aspiring to. It's
5: just mind-boggling to me. It's, it's, a, I, it's a direct result of the distance, right, and, and the uh, work from home and, and these uh, uh, the new dynamics that are set up that just keep it from, uh, from that management by walking around from working the way it used to. Do you think that's it? Just the lack of proximity
0: that people are developing these different attitudes because they are not in the same s- s- sphere of space anymore?
5: Well, I guess I look at it from an owner's perspective. And what is it about your systems and management that allows someone to do this? Right? I mean, there there has to be a certain amount of... Uh, um, I don't want to call it laziness, but uh, distance between you and measurement of results for this to be a possibility for a for an employee that you uh, that you employ, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, I would agree. And, and I remember during the I think it was twenty 2020 twenty or twenty twenty one during the time when when even more people were working from home, there was a, a news article about a fellow who managed to get two different jobs and work them both at the same time.
5: Sure, and he was he was doing
0: <laughs> two different full time jobs from home collecting two paychecks, right? And and that, that was one of the things that I thought of is they must not be watching very closely what, what this person is doing.
5: Yeah I, um, yeah, I think that's true. Yep, Ted?
6: Well, one of the things that causes me to follow Mike Finger is he's constantly driving home this idea, seek quality and develop it. Because if you expect to sell your business, you've got to be able to show that. Hmm. Well, the employees are a large part of that. Owners Absolutely. need to pay more attention.
0: It's true. We have an interesting question here from a viewer. It says, do you see a benefit in making your employees a share offer to retain the right ones? Making them part owner, I guess, is the is the gist of the question.
6: What do you think, Ted? Me? I think you better talk to a lawyer because if you give somebody 1% of the company and you want to fire them, or for some reason they become disgruntled and you later want to sell your company, finance your company, whatever, a minority owner, even 1% can throw a wrench into whatever you have in mind. So if you like being hostage to people, sell a minority share.
5: You know, it's, it's, it's an interesting question, David. My first job, um, about a year or two into it, the owner uh, gifted me stock. And it was pretty cool. You still have it? Uh, I, I was going to say it was pretty cool for a couple minutes. And, <laughs> and then I realized that the only value I would ever see from that stock is when I quit and he was obligated to buy me out at a preset price. So, I mean, it, it, it's one of those concepts that I think uh, can be effective. I, I felt better as one of the, a handful of employee owners. Uh, but the truth of the matter was was a little different in terms of what the actual benefit was to me uh, long term. So it, it can it work? I think it can work. I, I have uh, clients I work with who have implemented it and seen a higher level of buy-in from those employees, seen that transition from employee to owner, you know, have an impact on how they approach their work and how they approach the business. So I think conceptually it's a great idea, but to Ted's point, the devil's in the details there.
0: I, um, I, I actually have had this question asked to me many times. And I think that one of the, it, it's projection to a certain degree on the part of entrepreneurs to think that other people value the same things that business owners value. And business okay. owners value owning stock and being an owner. And you might assume that other people would value that too. But what we know is that the vast majority of people would rather sell their time to an employer and get a paycheck. right? Um, and so I've, uh, to echo Ted as well, you have to think about all the different possibilities of what may or may not happen. And so I've, I'll ask people sometimes if they say, should I give my employees stock? And I'll say, well, what if you fire them? Do they get to keep it? Are they, are they going to be these shareholders just like you, an investor in the company that's not there anymore? You know, what happens if you want to sell? Like you you would have to have an, and we're not talking about a marketable security where someone can just go and sell it to somebody else. There's all kinds of laws that have to be considered about who can be a buyer or seller of this stuff, and your agreement has to contemplate every potential iteration of what might happen. What if What if one of these shareholders passes on? Does their family get to inherit the stock? Like, I don't know, like, again. You need to be really well versed in what can happen, what you want to happen, what may happen, and what happens if it doesn't happen. And a lot of the times I think that people can be just as incentivized by some kind of bonus structure, maybe based upon the efforts of the company and how profitable the company is. There's all kinds of examples of profit sharing scenarios that give people the same kind of energy and vigor towards the overall success of the company without necessarily having to implicate all of these things that we're, we're talking about.
5: Yeah, it's all about motivation, right? What's going, to, what's going to create the change that you'd like to see in those particular employees you're offering this to in the first place?
6: Anyway, think about this. If they're employees, they're employees. If they want to own a business, they'd be out there trying to own a business or start one. So keep in mind, they are employees and trying to elevate them into something else. You know, working, and David knows this, when we're looking at people wanting to buy a business, almost nobody puts money at the top of the reason why they want to buy a business. They just want more job security so they can know they can start building financial security. And so if you can offer them a twofer, a more happy job environment, and as David says, profit sharing or some other way to share in the financial you don't have to give up anything. And they will they will work harder because guess what? They're getting what they want.
0: Mm. Yeah. And and you know, I've I've always I've, I've also challenged people before when they say, Should I give stock to someone? I'll say, Well, does it make sense to give it to them? If you want them to really feel invested in the business, maybe you should offer to sell them some stock and now see if they're really interested in writing a check. Because that again would be a completely different mindset and position for that employee to make um, you know at the same time there have been cases of course where groups of employees you know you have a company three or four people in that company come together and say we'd like to buy the business I think that's a little bit different you know they're they're creating the momentum of that you know they're coming together as a team they're going to create a new partnership and acquire that business and uh, there's an example here locally of a, a Chain of car dealerships that are employee owned, and but it's not all the employees. It's it's a a group of people who have a certain level of sophistication, who you know are real business people that are looking at this as an investment, and they look at it separately. I think than the work they do day to day too.
5: Yeah, that's a great point. I, again, what are you trying to inspire in these people? What what behavior are you trying to change? And unfortunately, it. it that ownership piece can create the exact opposite outcome that you want. If it's, if it's not what motivates the employee.
0: Uh, We have a couple of uh, people who've piled in here. Look, look who it is. It's Joel Leibovitz. It's it's, uh, the franchise king is wishing us a happy holidays from the franchise kingdom. Good to see you, Joel, uh, for popping in. Thanks for popping in. Um, Billy was following up with would bonuses based on profits be a better option? I think, I think we've just covered that. I know uh, even for, a big business like my sister-in-law used to be a flight attendant for uh, a big airline that had a profit sharing arrangement and she looked forward to the quarterly packages that she used to get which would have all the details of the performance of the company and and her check would be in there and she you know that was highly motivating for her. Um, Follow up here from Fubar Temp says as a manager quiet quitting makes sense to me because I'm asking an employee to solve a specific problem. If they solve it, then I don't care if it takes them one hour or 80 hours. I'm a software engineer, though. So that's that's interesting. So I, I think what he's trying to say is that part of the quiet quitting idea is coming from the idea of rather than considering the time it takes people to do things, rather consider the performance or output or the achievement or, or what it is that they're doing. It, it's interesting because in my different roles as an employee over the course of time... I've always been in sales, which is a highly measurable kind of role to be in, right? You know, what was the performance? How much did David sell? And so you've got people who are doing work, they're hitting targets or they're not. I don't know if I've ever had a sales manager ask how many hours I worked, right? They're focused on on the output. Do you think, do you think it's a matter of people trying to extend that kind of performance-based attitude towards other roles that is the issue?
5: Oh boy, I think uh if you asked the owner, not the manager, uh, uh from that comment, you might get a different opinion than the manager shared. Right, cuz the owner's going to think if they can solve that in an hour, the other 79 can be used for the next problem. Right?
6: Elon Musk says hardcore. That means work your ass off all day. That's, that's true.
0: That's what he wants. Right. <laughs> So the, I, I want to share something with everyone because because the three of us have something in common other than we're all excited about Christmas. Um, the three of us have something in common. All three of us are going to be speaking at an event coming up here in February, um, the the Boss Up Virtual Conference. And uh, I was wondering if you guys wouldn't mind sharing what it is that uh, that you'll be talking about. Ted, what are you going to be talking about in February? Well, I'm going to be
6: the last speaker So I hope people are still tuned in on the two-day event. I'm going to close with uh, why most people who try to buy a business don't buy a business. And it's because they don't know how to search for a business. And that's why they don't get the result. So I'm going to talk about what goes wrong and how to do a better job searching. So instead of being one of the 85% who don't buy a business, you can be one of the 15% who do.
0: That's uh, that I think that would be I think a lot of people will tune in for that because finding the opportunities is one of the biggest questions that I see from people is they say, hey, where do I find all these things? You know, if I look at those online websites, it seems like I'm the last one to the party. And so your topic, I think, is very apropos. Mike, what about you? What are you talking about during? the Yeah,
5: conference? yeah, and and first, I'll put a plug in for uh, for Ted's topic. I've I've often felt that falling in love with the search is the single most important part of of finding the right business to buy. Uh, that urgency that people have towards that uh, that purchase um, gets in the way. So I I will be looking forward to Ted's piece, and I'm going to be talking about. Uh, near and what's near and dear to me, which is creating a sellable business, and but we're going to look at it from a buyer's perspective. You know, you know, we talk about going in to buy a business and what am I looking at in in, in that business? But we want to look at that whole journey. Has the seller created a business that's sellable and viable? And what do you want to do after you buy that business to make sure that your uh, that you have the flexibility to own it forever or sell it tomorrow, because ultimately that's where we want to be as owners. And and David, you and I both know that there are people out there that buy businesses and then suddenly find themselves going, wait a minute, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. Um, and, and finding their chance or their opportunity for exit is, is a distance away based on the changes that need to be made. So we're going to go, we're going to help, those who are looking to buy evaluate those businesses from a seller's perspective and then bring that perspective to the business that they, they end up buying. Yeah. And, and the, the link for this conference is down in the show
0: notes. I put it in there before I started today. So you can find it down there. It, it's free of charge. Uh, it's being hosted by the the people at buyandsellabusiness.com. They're the ones putting it all together. And uh, I'm going to be talking about uh, the, different levels of cash flow, quite often people are told that a certain business type is valued at a certain multiple of cash flow. And the question I'm going to be talking about is what exact cash flow are we talking about? Because some of the measures of cash flow that people talk about and use, like seller's discretionary earnings or EBITDA or EBIT, these are what are called notional cash flow levels. They're not real cash flow levels, they're not the money that actually goes in your pocket. And so what do you need to be thinking about when you're looking at different kinds of businesses? Because different types and categories of business warrant a different consideration when you're looking at what sort of cash flow you're measuring. So that's what I'm going to be talking about. And, uh, and I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, and uh, there's already uh, close to 100 people registered and it's in February. It's going to be over two days. And so I would encourage people to go and sign up if, uh, if buying a business is something on your
6: radar for the foreseeable future.
5: Absolutely. Wait. Should be Wait. fun.
6: If selling a business is in your future because if you don't understand what the buyers are going to want and how they're thinking, it's not going to be that easy to sell.
7: That's a good point. point, 10,
6: point.
0: 10. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, you know, what uh what what else should we be talking about here, guys, since we got the three of us here in the room? Um, Ted, you had talked about the employee thing as being one of the big risks. What, what other things are you seeing as landmines potentially for the coming year? Well, let's
6: try to make it more positive. <laughs> okay. let's, what are the opportunities then? There we go. The, um... I, I created about 20 or 30 years ago an acronym called CELBS, C-E-L-B-S. Customers, employees, location, banks, and suppliers. We've already talked about employees. That's big risk, but also big opportunity if you can get a, a group of employees wanting to be successful in a company, the customers look to them. And again, how do we do it? Well, we survey them. And if customers are delighted, if it's been low turnover, and some of the distribution businesses we've looked at recently, they sell the kinds of products where there's no reason for the customers to leave, just none. Mm-hmm. So you're going to walk in unless you try to screw up the company. You've got those customers. That's it. So if you got the employees and you got the customers, we just made C and E location. You know, we had a guy on a moment ago talking about tax. A lot of businesses, Elon Musk, again, have moved from high-tax places to low-tax places. They pick up and leave. And also the lease. The leases can be a kiss of death for buyers and sellers if landlords won't play. But if they will play ball, if it's a wonderful location, you get a great lease. That's one more on the CELs now. The bank, hey, sources of financing are not going to be easy to deal with the next couple of years. Just not, Period. But if you've got a good enough business, they will finance them. Keep that in mind. All this whining and crying out there is by people who are expecting mediocrity. Businesses like David's working on and Mike's working on, if they're making money, lenders want to finance. So now we just handed the L the, the, or the, the B for the banker. and The last one, the suppliers, well, that supply chain's a mess, isn't it? And it's going to be but in all industries and not at all times
0: i can tell you some some crazy things are going on with the supply chain i i uh, i had to get a little bit of body work done to my car because of because of some rust and so i went to the body shop and i was talking with the fellow there they've never been busier because so many people are trying to keep 12 and 15 year old cars on the road that never would normally have been on the road And then he told me something that just blew my mind. This lady got into a fender bender with a 14 year old car and her insurance company is paying to repair it. Hmm. If you can believe that. And what it means is that these old cars are suddenly worth more than they've ever been worth before because of all the supply chain issues, limiting the availability of the new cars and, and, that is just the, the visible thing that we can all see as far as the big industrial supply chain, you know, the automobiles in every category out there for, the, for every kind of piece of machinery. People are waiting and waiting and they're waiting because some little doodad within a big piece of machinery is delayed
6: and the whole thing is gummed up. I'm in South Florida and I told you I work with a guy who buys heating and air conditioning companies. I have a train system here and I bought the most expensive, fancy computerized train system because they told me that would be the best. What he told me now a couple of years down the road is you better hope nothing goes wrong because there's a six month supply chain problem on most of the train parts. Sorry, train salesman, if this is not exactly true, but that's what he told me. You can wait six months with no air conditioning. Wow. I'm In South Florida. Yeah. So, you know, wow. Yeah. Potentially big problems. Same for same for David and Mike, where it's a little chilly today, I hear.
5: Yeah. You know, the whole air conditioning thing there, Ted, was kind of lost on me today. <laughs> 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 I, I, I woke up this morning and warmed up the car and it read 13 degrees below zero. And that had nothing to do with the uh, 20 mile an hour wind that was blowing. So yeah, t- tell them where you are. Yeah, we're in Western Wisconsin, so we're uh, we're right in the uh, right in the the freezer today.
6: Dave, where are you? Where's your balmy client?
5: I'm I'm on the east coast of Canada in Moncton, New Brunswick, and
0: today it is raining, and it's one degree above freezing right now. And the the forecast though says it's going to dip below freezing, and that means it's going to rain while it's freezing. And that means ice on the power lines and the branches and everything's mm-hmm. going to start breaking and it's just going to be a mess. Bad stuff. That's, that's that that's the bad stuff. Billy says that uh, they just registered for our conference and reminds everyone to smash the like button. Uh, these guys are sharing their knowledge and time. And yes, if you're out there watching, please hit the thumbs up button. It does help the algorithm and lets uh, YouTube know that uh, this is a great show that they should share with people. And, um, the growth coach of North Indiana Indianapolis says it's minus 11 Fahrenheit. I
5: I didn't I I thought the Fahrenheit scale went down to zero and that was it. Does it go below zero? Oh oh yes, and that my minus 13 from this morning was Fahrenheit, and, and and that's Bob Payton over there and at the growth coach of North Indy. How you yeah. doing, Bob? Hi
0: Bob, good to see you again. And so so yeah the i think weather all over the continent is kind of crazy this week you know those people in uh, texas are getting cold too
6: yeah hey david i'm gonna check out in five minutes is that okay you told me yeah 2 30.
0: no problem that's great ted and, and um yeah and it, and it's great to have you on i uh you know we were talking about uh you know travel and in the and the the years of the pandemic and everything and it reminded me that uh you and I actually got to meet when I was in Florida and it was the last trip I took before all that stuff started uh, back in January of 2020. And, uh, and it was really great to come down and meet you because we've known each other, I don't know, since, since like, what, 2011 or 2012 or something like that?
6: Nope, 2010.
0: 2010,
6: yeah. Yes, you introduced me to a a national convention, I think, at the International Business Broker Association. And I did a course for brokers on how to get along better and make more money with buyers. And you were the guy who made it happen for me.
0: That was in Orlando, I believe, wasn't it? In Orlando. Yes, I remember that now. Yeah, it's been quite some time. This is great. So, Mike... You know, you and I have been spending a lot of time actually talking together over the course of this past fall. Um you want to let everyone have an idea of what it is we've been working on?
5: We've uh we've been spending time, David, with uh, I've been uh, subtly uh um subliminally, uh, <laughs> subliminally uh, uh, sharing my my cup. Uh we've been starting a new uh, a new podcast um and that we've been recording season 1 of. It's a podcast called Your Exit Squad, where we are um, working to help small business owners learn about what it means to change a business to be exit ready. And uh, it's, uh, it's been really fun. It's been exciting. I, I, the stories I think we're telling um, are really interesting. And it, talk a little bit, David, about our format. I, I think that's that's one of the unique things about what we're doing.
0: Well, sure. And, and, you know, it, it's, it's, uh, you know, a lot of the times when you're on the internet and you're hearing stories about business transactions, and I mean, Ted, you just shared one about, uh, about your client who bought the business there in South Carolina. A lot of the times when you're online, you hear a story of what happened in a transaction after it's been done. And you get to hear some of the details. Of course, some things are are confidential and private and will never be known. And what, what, we wanted to do was we wanted to get under the hood a little bit and learn from some of these people on the pathway about the challenges that they faced and the things that needed to be addressed on the way to making their their business more exitable if that's a word shakespeare used to make up words all the time so i'm going to as well um you know and so what we were doing in this in the with the podcast is we're meeting business owners, we're talking to them about their business, we're learning about their business, and we're learning about what their aspirations are. And then we are looking for people that may be able to help them. And then we're interviewing those people to learn about their background, how they work with people, what their area of expertise is. And then we set them off to work with that business owner. And this is why it's been such a long time that we've been working on this for months because We interviewed some of these business owners and then set them to work with experts and they've been working together, some of them for eight, 10 weeks, 12 weeks. And then we bring them both back on for a third show where we talk about the progress and the way things that have been, the way things have changed for the business. And so it's really interesting. We've got some other kinds of shows that we were interspersing along these storylines. We have a couple of encapsulated one-off stories of people exiting their business in more than one way, um, which is, What we want to get across is the reality of of some of these businesses and what can happen, both the positive, the negative. And our our kickoff show, I think, was kind of insightful because we hear an awful lot online about people that want to acquire a business and put somebody else in charge. And for our kickoff show, we meet a couple who built a business went through the whole you know, systematization, the Michael Gerber stuff, putting processes in place, getting managers in place. And we learned just what it was like for them after they went through that process and why they still at the end of the day decided they needed to exit by selling it one day. And I think it's very insightful and and gives some real background as to why someone who is going to get into the world of business ownership needs to be prepared for what it's really like to to own and run a business. And and all three of us here on the screen have owned and run businesses. And we can probably tell when we see comments and things online, um, if they're from someone who never has, right? Would you say that's fair, Ted, that when, when, when someone makes a comment, is it pretty clear to you if they've ever had experience or not?
6: Yeah. Yeah. As I'm about to leave, From my view, the buyer view, what David Barnett and Mike Finger are doing to help owners be better owners, anticipate what's coming, that's music to our ears. We don't like walking into a business that's not for sale that we'd like to buy and the owner doesn't have a clue about anything. And we don't like meeting owners who who are for sale and they don't know enough about how we're going to behave and they haven't prepared their business. So you guys are you're miracle workers for us. And with that said, I'm about four seconds. Do I hit the leave studio button?
5: That's the Ted, one. You can hang out for 10 more seconds. If you want to say more nice things.
6: <laughs> yeah. no, I'm going to leave it at that. You guys are my heroes.
5: Merry Christmas, Ted. Thank Happy New Year. Ted. Great to see you. Thank you. All right. Um, yeah. So, um,
0: so that's, so that's the format of the show. <clears throat> you can't shoot
5: it well, David, it two, two I, and a half I, hours in. I need, Oh, <clears throat> Look at the, this. I I think the thing that was Prepared. that's been most um engaging for me is the decision we made up front that we didn't want us we didn't want to tell I sold my business for 100 million dollars 18 months after I started it kind of stories. We don't we're not going to tell the 1% stories we want to talk about the 99 cent owner or 99% owner reality, right? What does it really mean to view this journey from ownership to exit preparation? And uh, again, I I can gush about it for a long time, but I'm I'm excited about the stories that we're telling.
0: Yeah, me too. And, And it's, you know, I, what you just said about the 99%, I think, is the is the real target here, because as you know, so many of the real businesses that are out there, I, I remember from my Yellow Page days, when I used to sell Yellow Page ads, I used to go out and visit all these different businesses. The vast majority of businesses that really exist out there in the world are like the ones that we've been meeting. So you want to give us, you want to give people a little taste of, of some of the business types that we've
5: been talking to? Absolutely, we've got uh, a gentleman who owns a small uh, a tile setting business, um, a guy who is uh, working his rear end off all day long, has a handful of, of, of employees, independent contractors, and um, is coming to the realization that he's not going to be kneeling and, and laying tile forever. And, and what does that mean for how he needs to view his business? Because he loves the work and he loves the business, but it's not a, um, it, it, so th- that's an example. We're talking with, w- with, a, with a gentleman who wants to own the business that is a you know, first generation owned. He wants to figure out how to transfer it. We're talking with a gentleman who purchased a business and now realizes he needs to change it in order to make it exit ready. Um, just th- th- these are real world businesses, um, small businesses that's going to, that I really think is going to resonate with the the owners that are out there.
0: Yeah. And it, and it, the stories have come together really well. It's um, it's, it's going to be something that you're all going to enjoy. And, uh, you know, how do people, how do people (laughs) find it? Like what, what
5: I I was about to do the same thing, David, I um, go over to your exit squad.com. You can subscribe. You can get a a little teaser there. Um, If you're interested in being a guest, a small business owner that would like to experience the process, your exit squad guests.com, a simple application. And then for professionals who serve the small business market, um, coaches, marketing specialists, finance, really across the board, um, you go over to squadpartners.com and there's a sh- small uh, application there. So again, uh, more to come as the content gets out there, but uh, um, it's been a fun ride so far.
0: I've yeah, enjoyed it. It, it totally has. Um, so we, we have a couple of questions here, you know, you know, Beach NS says, uh, "With the middle class in dire straits financially, what do you think the future for the tourism industry is like? Small boutique hotels, cottage rentals, etc." Um, I don't know. W- what about the first statement? I mean, or do you think that that's uh, that's valid? That the middle class is challenged right now?
5: No, it's interesting. I've been listening. I've been listening to some of the past speakers and i am one who is a skeptic about blanket statements about Mm -hmm. about the economy especially when it comes to business ownership uh i we're we're in that space now one of your earlier guests talked about how difficult the market has become for selling a business and i i I know owners who hear those things and they get nervous and anxious and, and say and think I'm gonna wait to sell my business or I'm gonna wait to explore this. And a little part of my brain explodes a little bit when that happens, because the truth of the matter is, is that the decision to sell a business and the ability to do it, and the decision to buy a business and the ability to do it is always individually based. It is always part of that individual journey. And so, you know what? Good businesses, they're still selling well right now. Um, So it's about that. Is the middle class in a different place than they were two years ago? Absolutely, better, worse, and the impact on tourism—I don't know. I, I have uh, close relatives in the tour, tourism industry. Hotels are crazy busy, just crazy busy.
0: Well, I, you know, it's interesting because back in March of this past year, I took my kids down to uh, Cancun, Mexico, and we got a sweet deal on a you know package holiday with flights and everything. And um, it looked like a good deal to me at the time. So I took it Now, back in that time. I still had to do like a a test to get back into Canada. And we had to use this special app and all this kind of stuff. And so those things I think were deterring travel. Just for fun, the other day I went and looked up the same package that we bought last year for what it might cost in March of this coming year in 23. Sure. Two and a half times the price. Wow. (laughs) And so, you know, people are, you know, that have been tired of being, you know, held down and locked up or cooped up, they're out there exploring the world. And at the same time, there's like a shortage of airline pilots and the, you know, uh, there are still planes that are grounded, you know, from that time they don't have the crews to operate them and stuff. And the cost of flights has gone through the roof. Um, just looking at our, uh, the March school holidays when I, I typically take my kids down South, um, the price of flights and rental cars were just crazy. So uh, we're going to take, the, we're taking the Amtrak auto train. We're going to drive down to near Washington DC and then put the car on the train and we all go together, uh, which is an adventure anyway. It's a lot of fun, sure, <laughs> but it means I don't have to rent a car and I don't have to pay for flights. Right. And so, yeah, I mean, I would challenge this statement because there are people out there who are certainly doing fine. There is always a segment of society that is going to be doing fine. Every business is individual. We know this. And, and the, the question is, you know, how is each business being executed? That's because right. there are always going to be people who, hey, the small boutique hotel doesn't have enough people inquiring. They don't have enough bookings. But if they've done a great job in the past and they've curated their list of past guests and they've got the email addresses and stuff, they can start to promote themselves, offering promotions, offering special deals. They can sell those rooms. Yeah. It's it, the question is: is what tools do they have available? And this was the subject of a video that I made a few weeks ago, where where somebody said, "You know, what is there a recession-proof video? A uh, recession-proof business?" And my response was, look for businesses that have the right information and the ability to make changes so that you can change the offering and you know when you need to so that you can adapt. And that's to me, that's the thing is adaptability, which means you have to know what's going on and and know your resources and know what you can do. Yeah.
5: Oh, David, I, I love that. I love the word adaptability as opposed to reacting. Right. Because what I'm seeing uh, from uh, from many small business owners is they get so good at reacting to environmental changes that we lose sight of intentionally building a specific type of business. Right. We have to be adaptable, but always towards that direction that we're targeting, because that's what gives us that competitive edge. Right. It's that it's that, as you pointed out, it's that collective collection of customer information. So when the economy does something, oh, now I've got those discount ads out there and I'm doing this. So yeah, it, uh, adapt constantly, but do it with intention.
2: Yeah.
0: We've got, uh, a, a, a crazy person here in the, in the comments. Cancun crazy 2000 says, hi, David is Jay from central Florida from your upcoming holiday chat. He says it's 67 degrees here in Daytona. Great idea doing the chat. I'm diving into your guests' websites. I'm looking for a
5: business and Thank you very much, Jay. What's the point um, of that whole sixty-seven degree thing? What is that just rubbing sand in the wound for? We, the we've been getting
0: weather reports from all across the country here. This is just, <laughs> Jay is just i don't know—that felt
5: a little braggy to me. Jay, Jay's just doing his part. The the um, the
0: uh, oh, what was uh, just on the tip of my tongue here? So 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 Jay's talking about. The holiday chats and he's also talking about guest website and i've been asking people and what's the best way to to find you online because after i'm done the stream i'm going to update the show notes and put everyone's website so if you if you're watching or listening later and you want to find out more about each guest i will update the show notes with the websites and um rocky has something here to say about the recession he says our recession plan is to have a plan in place before it happens so when it does we don't have to think we just take the action we said we would amen mm. great advice great, great advice yeah. what
5: would we it's that little exercise of what would we do if and that piece of paper that plan gets stuffed in a in a in a folder and we pull it out when yeah love that
0: echoed by growth coach of north indy says points to the necessity of guardrails or bumpers what do we do when and decide those actions ahead of time? Scenario planning is so important. I agree. Love I agree that. totally.
5: Dave, David, talk a little bit about the holiday chats. I've enjoyed those in the past. <clears throat> well, so for those who don't know, the holiday chats
0: are these hour-long consulting calls that I do with people. And I don't know if people know, I mentioned this from time to time, but these one-on-one consulting calls, I do several a week throughout the year um, and normally charge a few hundred dollars for them. And if people want to do one, you go to calldavidbarnett.com. It'll take you right to the spot in my blog where you can book those calls. But in the holiday time, this has been going now for five years. um, I I started to send out emails every day and I thought, how can I make it easier for myself over the holidays to send out my daily emails? I said, I know what I'll do is I'll offer some of these calls at a discounted rate with the caveat that they be released so other people can listen to them. So these callers like Jay signed up for these calls we do the one-on-one call over the course of an hour some people are visible on screen some people are not depending on what they choose as far as anonymity and the whole idea is that um, i get to help them they get to save money but everyone else gets to participate and watch these calls or listen to them and in order to hear them if you want to hear them you have to be on my email list because starting tomorrow christmas eve the very first holiday chat call that I recorded just a few weeks ago will be released and you'll be able to watch it on YouTube or listen on SoundCloud, but you have to be on the email list to get it. If you're not on the email list, then what happens is you have to wait until the summer because in the summer, I release them publicly on Fridays over the course of the summer. So join the email list. It's free. You go to davidcbarnettlist.com to sign up. And uh, there are 10 calls this year and, uh, very interesting they, they cover a wide degree of a wide uh you know spread of different topics uh but they're they're interesting and um some really eye-opening conversations you, yeah. you you listened to a bunch of the ones from years gone by didn't you
5: i did i'm a i'm a hiker i'm a walker and i i, I have a tendency to um to listen while i'm going and it's uh What's fascinating about them for me for that format is it seems very clear for many of them that after the first five minutes ago or so they forget they're being recorded right And there is a transparency and an honesty there that is uh, really refreshing from a from a content perspective right We listen to a lot of podcasts and things where it's all framed and you you know they've got their their talking points and here's the, you just got owners talking about problems in their business that they're trying to get resolved and to me that is the that's the big learning opportunity
0: well you know what we, we have another guest that just popped in so uh, let me bring in Rick Nicholson hey Rick how you doing hey I'm good Dave how are you I'm good Rick have you ever met Mike I have not hello oh, Nick,
5: Rick nice hey, to meet you we're,
0: we're, Rick is uh, another person that works with small businesses and is a Wizard of Ads affiliate out of uh, the, the Wizard of Ads uh, in Austin, Texas, right? That's right. Yeah. And and so we're just talking about the challenges or the, the things that we've seen in 2022 and looking forward to 2023. Rick, why don't you let us know what you're seeing as far as the people that you're working with about things that have happened in this past year? Uh, let's Let's start about positive, you know. Do you have any success stories you can share with us, maybe from one of your clients or yourself?
8: Um, well, I'm, I'm not sure the the context. What, what are you trying to get at?
0: Well, just something good that happened in the world of small business, as far as the things you've been working on in this past year.
8: Oh, in terms of good, uh, well, there's a lot of people wanting to start businesses, um, and you know we talk about the the lack of labor that's out there, and there's many factors why that's occurring, but one of the minor factors is people don't there's a lot of people that don't want to work for others anymore so they're looking for their own businesses and they're looking for an opportunity and and it's not all about money I mean clearly it you know for a lot of us who started businesses money is one of the deciding factors but usually it's one of the more minor factors so yeah, they're just looking for whether it's more flexibility or, you know, hopefully not more time because usually more time is not what they get. But flexibility is a, is a big one. So working from home and, and there's definitely a transition that I'm seeing is people want to work from home more and not have to be in an office. So, yeah,
0: it, it's it's interesting because before coming on today, I did some quick searches to look for like, you know, articles about trends in business and stuff just to have a bunch of stuff here. One of the issues that came up consistently in these articles and has come up already here today is this whole hybrid or flexible work arrangement. But there's another interesting comment from a Microsoft study. 62% of Gen Zers that they studied say they have started or intend to start a business of their own. And uh, that's, an incredibly high number. I don't know if we have ever seen a a generation that is so openly entrepreneurial before.
5: That's interesting. I wonder what the definition of a business is in that context. What not, you know, not that it's a a judgment thing, but um, that's a high number. That's a big number, number. right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
8: But but think about like I've got two teenagers at home and Dave, you've got two teenagers. And, and I don't know about you, Mike, but young people who are growing up in this, and again, maybe it's because I'm entrepreneurial and Dave, you're entrepreneurial, but my kids, they're not necessarily thinking about, okay, how do I start a business or whatever, but you know, they're on, they're on these different apps and they're trying to get followers. Well, change the word follower to customer. And, and so they're gaining a network and they're building on that. And, you know, maybe they're getting influence from that or becoming an influencer, well, that's entrepreneurial at its, at, you know, at its core. So maybe it's just part of the way they were raised.
0: They, they want to get rich off TikTok videos?
8: Well, yes, I think there's a <laughs> lot. Listen, I listen to some of the kids and they're like, how do I become an influencer? How to become rich using TikTok or Instagram or so on Snapchat? And yes, there's no question. These young kids are dreamers about that. Now, the reality is we know that that's, you know, very, very hard to achieve, but but they are building a following and following others. So, you know, again, I just believe that there's a lot of entrepreneurial spirit in that.
5: It, it's it's an interesting question, right? If I look at a YouTube channel, have I started a business once I get monetized? If, if, if I sell, uh, you know, blue jeans that I pick up while I'm thrifting on any one of the platforms that I can do that through, um, I, what I think will be interesting is to see, If this high percentage of those kinds of entrepreneurs transition into a place of offering employment to others and, Mm -hmm. you know, taking that more traditional growth route, um, whether that evolves that way.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, another comment that I came up here was talking about 2023, and this is from a different article was saying uh, that there is a, a strong percentage of people surveyed were looking at starting some kind of side hustle as a way of dealing with inflation. And so when I think of a side hustle to hustle up some extra cash because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm running short of money. These are the kinds
5: of things that I'm thinking of is, is what you just described, Mike. Right, right, right. And and again, it's an entrepreneurial endeavor a- after a point, right? It, it, it's. Uh, and I'm thinking about starting a business as a solution to inflation, given what I know about how view businesses end up being profitable and successful. So I, I'm, I'm I'm not sure ultimately that is a path to uh, uh, to escape for many, but it's certainly a, a an adventure. So I, I'm, it'll be intriguing to see how those numbers play out over time. We we have someone here to just ask a, an interesting question
0: is an influencer's business saleable i think that's a i think that's an interesting question um because i think that there are instances where we've seen um you know uh, says could be done correctly um we've seen instances where businesses that were very much personality driven have become something else right and i'm, th- I'm thinking about the early personal development people you know like your zig ziglers of the world right you know, a personality-driven brand, now an entirely different other business, right? right? Based upon the legacy of that content. And, you know, you can point to people like uh, like Tony Robbins, right? And see another example of that happening right before us. Absolutely. Well,
8: and, and you have to, I, I think the answer is yes, if the influencer can detach themselves from the business and not be the identity of, you know, every single post and and so forth. So no different than an orthodontist who has her name or his name on the building one day steps back and hires orthodontist and takes the name off and says, you know, Dr. Braces or Dr. Smiles or Mr. White or whatever, and then detaches themselves. So they're not completely attached every day to serving that customer.
5: Rick, I think that's so important. I mean, one of the core questions that I focus on with, with owners is, um, can a buyer duplicate my results? Right. That that, and that comes down to the team and that's in the systems you've built. But to your point, have I have I separated myself from the the core deliverable of that business? And uh, in most cases, owners um, haven't done that. But that that transition, as long as you do it before you reach, I'm ready to sell this place um, that transformation can absolutely take place. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the key. It's got to be part of our plan.
0: It's not, it's not something you pull off at the last minute. Um, you know, it, but I'm wondering, you know, can an influencer's business be saleable? What, what I'm starting to see more and more is I'm starting to see things like social media accounts that, Aren't really attached to a person at all, and then and then I wondered to myself, like, you know, could somebody like buy an account that has followers in order to take advantage of that social media leverage? So I was I was thinking about this the other day when I was looking at uh, my Twitter feed. There was someone who was like, it was like a a made up persona, obviously, you know, with a with a cartoon sort of image as a as the avatar. And they had thousands and thousands of followers. And I just thought to myself, you know, that person could sell that account to another person. Someone else could get the password and take control of it, and no one would know. And then I started to wonder,
5: is that really a thing? Are people doing that? Read the terms of service. Years ago, I looked at uh, a business for sale that sold Facebook accounts really only to do a little research at the time and found and find that facebook did not allow for the sale of facebook accounts was it happening maybe um but this business was built around brokering those sale the sale of that asset which the platform said could not happen it's
0: interesting because when back in my business broker days Um, This is when Sears was still open and they had their catalog operation running. Um, I sold a laundromat, which was also a Sears catalog uh, delivery drop-off point. And so people would order things from the catalog and they would be delivered to that spot. And um, I remember that there were earnings relating to the Sears catalog business that were obviously in the financial statements. And one of the reasons the buyer wanted to buy the business was because of the Sears operation. But in the agreement that the seller had with Sears, it specifically said that they could not sell that that agreement, that distributorship could not be sold. No amount of consideration could be paid for that Sears agreement. And I I said, you know, is this going to create a problem for us? And it wasn't a problem because what happened was the business was sold and the new owner and the seller met with the Sears guy who just signed a new agreement with the new owner. But it was, I think, just sort of creating a scenario legally where Sears could never be implicated or dragged into somebody else's business with respect to a sale of one of these locations. And so maybe that's Facebook's position, just that they, they, if they put this out there, they never have to get involved in someone's business. If there's ever some kind of lawsuit going on about one of these things, they don't want to be pulled
5: into that. Fascinating. Yeah, could be. David, Rick, I'm going to uh, drop off the call and let the two of you uh, continue. It's been my pleasure and uh, happy new year to you both.
8: Just meeting you, Mike.
5: Mike, where can people uh, catch up with you and learn more if they want to meet you more online? I'm really active on LinkedIn or you can find me at exitoasis.com.
0: Awesome. Good right. to see you. Merry Christmas and uh, and we'll, we'll see you soon. We'll see you in January at the launch of uh, Your Exit Squad. Excellent.
5: Take care. All right. Bye-bye. Awesome. You know, there's
8: another there's another part to that influencer thing. And again, I always try to look at the simple side of things. Like when when we think of influence today, influencers today, like you're an influencer, Dave. I mean, you have your followers on YouTube and, and Twitter and your book. Have I
0: ever influenced you to do anything?
8: Oh, you have. And I think I've influenced you as well. I think so too. <laughs> but but um, you know, you, you, but you take someone like you, or you take someone like a Tony Robbins, or you know, I think of old influencers like Jake Paul, who you know probably was on YouTube earlier than than most. But um, you could license certain things, like Robert Kiyosaki has done. Yeah. Right. So you th- forget about the YouTube. He you writes some books. He gets he's an influencer in the Amway group. Exactly. George Foreman grills. It. Absolutely. Yep. And that story about George Foreman grills, if it, does, do you, do you know the story of how George Foreman got in the whole grill business?
0: Was it, I, I believe I, I heard it at one time. Was it offered to somebody else, but he ended up stepping in or something. What happened?
8: They offered it to him and he was going to get an endorsement fee and he had just, you know, he had fought in the ring and made million, a couple million bucks or whatever. And he was like, I don't want the endorsement fee if i'm going to put my name on this i want a percentage of sales and he made like you know 100 million dollars or whatever the number is i mean you could probably research it and and figure it out but it the 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 fee it pales in comparison to how much money he's made as a licensing agreement yeah yeah absolutely and
0: and uh so that would be a royalty which is a very simple way of kind of having an equity interest in in the grill business without having to implicate himself with anything to do with how the business was actually run. Exactly. Yeah. So, all right. Well, So you were talking um, earlier about, you know, the, one of the reasons why people are having a harder time hiring people is because people want to be in business on their own. You work with startup entrepreneurs on a pretty regular basis, teaching a, a program in conjunction with a, a local economic development agency. Yeah. How have you seen that? change or those cohorts of people change over the last
8: year? So I work with a couple different economic groups, um, three different programs to be exact. And what we saw, it's kind of, it's hard to compare because I've been doing this now for five years with one group and it was ramping up really strong. So we would do these training courses, week long training courses that would last a week. And we do one every single month Um, before the pandemic. There was a waiting list. We had 30 chairs in the room for each month and there was a waiting list every month. Uh, When COVID hit, we took everything online. We did that for about two and a half years, maybe. I can't remember the exact dates, but anyways, um, and even online, we we were doing anywhere between 15 and 20 a month. I mean, there were no maximum number of chairs, but that's kind of where we were sitting. So that was encouraging to know that, you know, despite everybody's sheltering at home and there's still interest in starting businesses. And, and you know, most of them were very traditional businesses. So whether it's a, a craft business or a garbage removal business or whatever it might be, right, accounting or whatever. So there was still a lot of interest in june of 2022 we went back in person and it dropped off and there was this appetite well if it's online it's more flexible i want to do that and when i say dropped off it dropped off to like eight wow and and so we've been seeing anywhere between um five and eight people a month since june now the
0: so the delivery mode has had a big impact on people's willingness to do it. It almost sounds like the same kind of thing that we're hearing about how people want jobs that are flexible, that they can do remotely. and They don't want to go into the office. In your case, they don't want to come into the classroom.
8: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, there's there's definitely... Um... There's definitely some people who are still afraid of of being infected with COVID or transmitting COVID, so we have a little bit of that. But I think that's the minor role because we're just not seeing the same number of applications that we saw prior to COVID or yeah. even during COVID on in the um, on the uh, on the virtual sessions. But the encouraging thing is January, which is only a couple of weeks away. January is traditionally a slower month for us. And it's ramping up. I've already got fifteen applications.
0: Okay, so, it's so the new year. all right, and so so this could bow well for the entrepreneurial startup community here locally.
8: Oh, listen, I think the entrepreneurial community is very strong locally, and for whatever reason they haven't they haven't uh, come to those sessions. But that's I don't think that is an indication of of where we're going entrepreneurially.
0: Well, speaking of entrepreneurs, we have another entrepreneur that just joined the group here. So let me let me bring Mark Willis in. Mark, how are you doing today? Hey there, how's it going, guys? Good. You're the only one that dressed for Christmas.
7: Yeah,
5: well, uh, it
0: someone looks had to be great. Santa.
5: <laughs>
0: well, um, we're just we're just talking about. Well, I've been talking all afternoon about small business and stuff. Uh, Mark, we're asking people about the past year, and we're asking people about the year ahead. How now, for everyone who doesn't know, mark is is one of the sponsors of my channel this year, and uh, is is helps people set up bank on yourself style uh, life insurance policies. What have you been seeing as far as your clients and their businesses over this past year?
7: Yeah, great question. We've had um I think it's it's been a tale of two economies, as we may be hearing others say the, the, the mainstream media is saying there's nowhere to hide, you know, uh, markets are down, stocks are down, bonds are down. Um, there's supply chain shocks, there's weather events. Um, you know, you guys don't have to hear me say all this. I want to give some uh, merry news, not uh, bad news. But then there's so many people who've got a, uh, a, a, um, a bug in their, in their hat to start a business. Yeah, uh, during a time like this, and and it's a good reminder that even in the Great Depression of the 1930s, um, there were people who made money. I mean, yeah. on the sale on the other side of every lost stock trade, that somebody bought it on sale.
0: Good point. Good point. Because in order for a number to get up on the ticker, there has to be a trade, and mm-hmm. that means somebody bought at those low prices. It one of the most amazing things to me about the Great Depression. Do you know what one of the greatest businesses of all time
8: that came out of the great depression is fast food is it is, i didn't know what fast food tell me that tell me the story A&W, A&W a and w a and w created a model in canada for fast food and they were the trigger for mcdonald's in the u.s
0: really i didn't know that
8: yeah what wow. were you going to say
0: i was going to say miniature
8: golf oh no it was fast food for sure
0: because miniature golf uh, got started in big cities, people would go to empty lots and they would sort of uh, build these makeshift little golf courses and charge people a penny or a nickel to play. And so many people were unemployed. They were looking for these inexpensive entertainment opportunities that this got started. And then eventually the landowner would shoo them off and they would just go relocate and set up somewhere else. But, you know, when you drive around today, Most cities have a bunch of miniature golf courses, and that whole thing was created during the Great Depression.
7: Wow, didn't know that. That's cool. Yeah, see, the constraints drive innovation. Yeah, constraints drive innovation. That's true when it comes to your artwork. Uh, If you can only paint with your left hand or your big toes, you're going to do some pretty interesting, innovative solutions. And when interest rates rise on your mortgages and on your properties or on your lines of credit. You're going to come up with innovative, exciting. I'm I'm really hopeful for what is to come. What creative solutions will the business owner come up with uh, when faced with these constraints? Yeah.
0: Oh, absolutely. Speaking of creative, Rick, you um, you work with Wizard of Ads out of out of Texas. Uh, can you tell us about some of the cool things maybe that you've been uh, working on with people there, or that some of your colleagues have been doing?
8: Oh man, there's tons. There's like 60 of us that are partners around the world, right? So, there's eight I think 8 or 9 in Canada, most of in the US, we've got a couple in Australia, one in Russia, um and uh, uh maybe one in Germany. I'm not sure. Anyways, um so we're all working on different various things that we don't always share our work together. Uh I've I'm working with a couple of clients down in the southern US uh, in Texas and Arkansas and uh, I mean, I can't tell you exactly what we're doing because we have a whole strategy behind that. But our growth is fantastic. So despite the times that we, you know, we're talking about inflation and recession and all that, I've got one business that's that's growing at fifteen percent, and that's after price increases, right? Yeah. So we, we we net that out. We're still growing at fifteen percent, and and it's the type of a business that shouldn't be growing at that level. So you know, we're we're excited about that, and it has to do with messaging and and how we how we talk to customers and and kind of holding the fort down because we know that our competitors are going through some rough times.
0: It, it does all come down to execution, doesn't it? It's, it's, it's what somebody does with the business that they have at hand. And yeah, that,
8: I, I, I hear you. Great, great example. Mm-hmm. But if you haven't checked it out and if no one's ever heard of it, uh, wizard of ads, you can go to wizardofads.org. That's our partner website. Uh, and I would strongly recommend if you've never checked it out from a marketing side, go to mondaymorningmemo.com. Roy, yeah. founder of Wizard of Ads, and he writes basically a blog slash email every Monday. And uh, it's, it's a very interesting prerogative on, uh, on messaging, business, and so forth.
0: And, and Mark, you're based in the Chicago area, but you have a team of affiliates that kind of spreads all over the place. How, how has your own business and network of, a, of associates been growing over the last year?
7: Well, there's, I think, a, uh, you know, nothing can stop an idea whose time has come, as the old saying goes. And we need probably about 100 times more colleagues, professionals across the United States and Canada to help clients who are looking for things outside of the Wall Street casino to help them build and protect their wealth. Uh, And one of the best parts of the work I get to do is the the camaraderie and the colleagues that I get to interact with. I'll be spending time with a a small elite group of the Bank on Yourself Professionals, uh, of which there's about 200 of us across the United States and Canada. Uh, And I get to do kind of mastermind groups with them. And I'm doing this again in January with a small group of them uh, where I get to learn from the very best uh, of... Uh, financial advisors, attorneys, accountants, estate planning attorneys, all of whom specialize in the bank on yourself strategy. And I, I just think that's the way of the future. At least it's the way for my future uh, as a business owner. I don't want to be in business um, by myself. Sure. Yeah. I want to be in business for myself, but not by myself. And having the the colleagues of other bank on yourself professionals, maybe they uh, would wear this hat a little better than I could. Uh, But I sure uh, like spending time with them, that's for
8: sure.
0: Yeah, it's interesting that you bring that up. I started the live cast today with Giuseppe Grammatico, who helps people with uh, with franchise, you know, choosing a a franchise to to operate. And, um, you know, that's one of the benefits often that is promoted with with franchise systems is the um, the fact that you have these, these comrades, these colleagues that are operating similar businesses, but you know, in Rick's example with the Wizard of Ad Partners and in your example being affiliated with the other Bank on Yourself people, um, it reminds me of back in the day when I was a business broker and I used to attend uh, the different events put on by the IBBA, you know, they have a con- convention and conference and, and the Canadian Chapter 2 would have their own things just for the value of getting together and being able to to share and learn from other people who have a similar experience. And one of the things that that I've uncovered and very frequently in my consulting work with people is I'll, I'll have someone that will call me for a problem or they'll call me with an issue they want to talk about buying or selling a business. And sometimes the topic of just feeling isolated comes out. And and you know the I I can realize pretty quickly when I'm talking with a business owner that has not taken the time to build any kind of network of relationships with other business owners. And, you know, I, I think there's big advantages to having this within your own industry, obviously. But even if someone is just in a certain town or community, and they own a business, they should make an effort to be connected with other business owners, just so that they have a, a forum for sharing things like, you know, what we've been talking about this afternoon, like employee issues and, and stuff like that. Because you can't share those kinds of problems with people who have no context or understanding of what it's like to have those kinds of problems.
7: Yeah. There's a, um, a correlative here with our biological health. Uh, they're saying that loneliness is the new smoking. And I feel like, uh, the likelihood of your business dying early is increased. If you don't have a good connection group, a network group, people who are both in your space, um, other people who do exactly what you do, And then outside of your space, uh, great folks like you guys, uh, where I get to get to know new folks. And I think, David, you're a big part of the connective tissue of the health of many entrepreneurs across this, you know, continent. So thank you for your work.
0: Uh, Well, thank you for saying that. Um, But I know what I know what you mean when it when it comes to like the podcast thing, because, um, you know, I've got a few podcasts that I listen to and I listen to them regularly. And it almost feels like hanging out with some guys. You know, like, because you, you just, you get to this point where you, you feel like you know them so well, even though that, you know, I, I don't actually, you know, know some of these people that I'm listening to, but it's it's interesting. You can almost kind of get a a proxy for that relationship
8: feeling sometimes. And you don't even have to pick up their bar tab. (laughs) It's, that's funny. You say that Dave yesterday, something interesting happened to me because I, I blog regularly through wizard of ads. And, you know, I'll, once in a while we'll get a customer who will, or a potential customer will reach out and say, I really appreciated this. And this is why it affected me this way, blah, blah, blah. A author that I follow, he doesn't know me. He read my blog. I follow him on, I read his books. I, I listen to his podcasts. I know him intimately. He knows me not at all, except for my blog, right? He sends me a message yesterday. I really enjoy your blog. Can we sit down and chat? And I'm like, like I was like fanboy. And I'm like, oh my God, no, it's not this guy. It can't be this guy. And, uh, but it was like, I actually answered it in, you know, the quirky way that I am. And I'm like, all right, I got to take off my fanboy suit now. And yes, I'm absolutely ready to speak to the great Brian Eisenberg. Anyways, so, so yeah, I get it.
0: Yeah, and, and so um, so outside of the bank on yourself network, then Mark, do you cultivate a, a group of people locally that 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 you talk with frequently? Like, um, tell tell me about your networking efforts to to have that kind of connection with other business owners. There's you, several you must have a lot of clients that are in that boat too.
7: Yeah, there's uh, I think circles of of uh, relationships and influence in all areas of our lives, uh, in our personal lives and beyond. And uh, you can have a small intimate group of two or three. You can have a larger group of 12. Uh, There's larger groups beyond that, uh, you know, more of a 70 to a hundred. Then there's the larger, larger groups uh, where you're part of a big group. Uh, So I'm a certified financial planner and there's 93,000 of us across the United States, Canada and around the world. Uh, And within that, there's a local chapter uh, of certified financial planners. There's also Folks that specialize in the same area of, of life insurance and safe wealth contractual belt wealth building that I uh, specialize in in our area. There's different um, political groups that you can be a part of as well. I've also been a part of a business networking group for many years uh, that uh, is called Latip. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that. It's sort of like it's sort of like B and I. If you're familiar with how B and I, B&I I've heard of B and I. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so it's the idea that everyone is ex- expressly in a different industry, and you have a exclusive category that you sort of fill. So I was the financial planner. Uh, that was downtown Chicago. I've since moved out of downtown Chicago. Uh, but that was a great opportunity, uh, not just to get referrals, which it did do that, but it helped refine my voice and it pre- refined my opinions and my, my compelling ideas and my ability to deliver those ideas to clients and to a group of people. It was almost like, um, Oh, those, um, uh, uh, Toastmasters type groups, you know? Uh, and I feel like, boy, it's just invaluable to have a group of people who, um, uh, are you're able to bounce ideas off of who might have a different opinion.
0: I, I was involved in a, in a business mastermind group for almost, well, 10 years, at least. And one of the great things about it was that everyone in the group was from a different industry, and it always amazed me when someone had a problem, how sometimes other people from other industries would have solutions already ready made because that industry suffered from that issue or whatever before. And the the amount of sharing and borrowing from you know one person's business to another was really, really uh, neat. And I mean, this is one of the big reasons why I think if you're out there and you're in business, you have to make an effort to cultivate relationships with other business people because there there are people out there struggling with things that they don't need to be struggling with. the The solutions are out there. and often, um, often it's it's just a matter of of being able to talk out the issue you're having in your business with some other people.
7: So, where do you find your network? David? I'd be curious what you've learned. Uh, being a skilled, um both virtual and beyond networker. How do you do it?
0: It okay, so so it's it's interesting because I was in that group for 10 years and then it changed. And I think it's because some of the people reached the point in their career where they were looking for their exit and the dynamic of the group kind of started to change. So I left the group. And since then I've been I've been sort of looking for a Formal replacement for that. It's been about three years. Haven't found it yet, but I found a couple of half measures that I'm making work. So there's the the informal group of, of good friends, of which Rick is one of them, where we, I just talk with them very often. And Mark, who was on here today earlier, too, is one of those people where we talk about our, talk about business quite frequently uh, with each other. And I have a few other people like that that, that I talk with. But... Most recently, I was down in Florida where I met Rocky, who was on the show earlier, and um, part of that event, they put us together in a mastermind for the weekend and and the people that are in that group, we've decided to carry on. So that's kind of my new sort of formally formatted kind of regular business mastermind group that I'm a part of now. Um, But there's been a couple of half starts, you know, trying different things that I found in different places. I even traveled to San Diego once a couple of years ago to attend an event that was all about forming these business masterminds, and you, you've got to find the right connection. You, you, it has to. You have to find the right people that you feel you can connect with. And if you sit there and you re, and you think I'm more advanced than everyone else in here, or I've faced far more challenges than everyone else in here, you're going to lose interest. You have to be in a mixed group where you feel like you can both give and and share and and learn i think is one of the most important things about how you you find that
7: well said well said if you feel like you've already got everything you need out of a group uh, you're probably one in the wrong group and two you're probably wrong Uh, so always being ready to learn and grow i had someone once say that the arrival syndrome is the worst possible virus we can catch Mm. Um, and it's the moment when we begin to think we have it all figured out or we know um, what we need from a certain group. There's always more to learn. And then there's also time to move on too. Um, what do you guys think? When is the right time to, to say enough's enough with a group? Rick, what do you think? <laughs>
8: uh, having been part of a few groups as well, um, I think with, in my particular case, when you're contributing more than what you're receiving, then you're at the wrong end of the scale. Hmm. Like yeah. You're you're you, you maybe maybe it's ego driven as well, but if you think you know more than the others that are that are providing advice, you're in the wrong group at that point.
0: Yeah. Uh, Mark, what you just said about the uh, about the arrival arrival syndrome—is that what you called it? I, it? It reminds me. I did. Were you talking a little bit about that in one of your recent podcasts that you put out? Because I mm-hmm. think you were. You did one on about the topic of thinking, and I think you you touched on some of this stuff.
7: Yeah, thinking is. Uh, we talk about commodities and lots of different financial strategies, uh, but one of the rarest commodities in the financial universe in the human universe is the commodity of thinking. And uh, we do way less of it than we think. Um, yeah. No pun on. No pun intended there. But uh, Woods Hutchinson, he wrote for the Saturday Evening Post a long time ago. He has a quote where he says five percent of people think, another ten percent of people think that they think, and eighty-five percent of people would rather lay down and die than think. Uh, and and yet we're really conditioned to believe that we're already right in our own mind. And thus the arrival syndrome begins to rot away at ourselves. And it's honestly, it's the undoing of a lot of businesses when we think that we've created this perfect machine of a business and we're unwilling to bring in outside experts to give us the raw feedback like you guys do so well in your various businesses and the approaches you guys help your clients with. And
0: and this is great that that you brought that up because it ties in really well with a conversation I was having earlier this afternoon with the whole idea of intentionality. And we were talking about how few people actually stop and like think about what do I want my life to look like, what do I want my business to look like, and, and and put some effort into it. So much happens, and I think and there's a necessity to it. There's a reason I think why we've evolved this way because you can't obviously sit and ponder and consider every little minute decision through the run of the day. But the vast majority of what happens for most of us is just reacting to scenarios based on how we've been trained. But but if you let that reaction just run your whole life, you end up sitting there someday at some point in your life wondering what happened to life, like how did I get here?
7: Well, there's yeah. a, a great story about this. Um, and part of the Thinking Time episode, I gave uh, a story about the British colonialists uh, that were in India at the time. And there were all these king cobras that were biting and hurting many of the people who lived in the area there so the the brilliance of the uh, of the uh, colonialists they came up they came up with this idea to give a a reward to anyone who brought in a king cobra dead or alive uh so people began to bring in all the cobras from the 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 wild areas and then some people rightly so came up with the business idea to farm king cobras yeah So these are the unintended second order consequences that many of us don't have. When our business, we come up with this brilliant idea, but we don't consider our second order consequences. And guess what? It gets worse. So now there's all these farmed king cobras and the British catch on to this wild idea. And people are making a ton of money off the British's back here. So they stop the program. They say, forget it. We're not going to pay you for your farmed cobras. What do you think everybody does with all these king cobras? Let them loose. Oh. Yeah. Let them loose. So now there's twice as many King Cobras in the area as before the whole, you know, ill, ill begotten program was even conceived. So well, it's, it's also a
0: story about, uh, the market dynamics when government interferes with, uh, with the price. That's dynamics right.
8: Stuff, things <laughs> going <on> too, right? <laughs> well, that's right. That's funny because when I was a kid going to university in the summertime, I'd plant trees and for this tree harvester, they, um, they had a bounty on porcupines because the porcupines would eat these seedlings and it would ruin the plantation. So they had a bounty that if you cut the nose off of a porcupine, they would give you a couple dollars for the porcupine. And so some innovative people working in the company, every time they'd see a porcupine as ro- roadkill on the side of the road, would just cut, cut the nose off and bring it in to get their wow. bounty. <laughs> <laughs> That's <laughs> so hilarious. That same story. Mm-hmm. Market force. I love it.
7: Yeah, It just goes back to reminding me that sometimes I think I need to fix the problem in my business. Like I was doing some thinking time this morning on some upcoming projects and things I want to improve for the next year. Sometimes I think we we grab the duct tape. As entrepreneurs, we want to grab that duct tape um, when we really should be grabbing the sledgehammer. Not what do we need to fix, but what do we need to break? Sometimes breaking something actually can be the better solution than trying to just manhandle things or or grab some scotch or, or duct tape to fix it up.
8: And you know what, Mark, what you're saying actually makes a lot of sense to me. And and I'm gonna add this one part to it. When we we talk, I can't remember what the percentages you said that 15% think or whatever. That what were the two numbers that you? used? Yeah, five
7: percent think, ten yeah. percent think that they think, and 85 would rather lay down and die than think.
8: Okay, so five and ten percent. I've seen this constantly in, in my realm. There's a lack of curiosity, you know, mm. the what if. Well, what happens if I do this? Or how would this change the results if we took this approach instead of this approach over here? And that comes back to thinking, but it's that curi- that genuine thought of curiosity because that old cliche is, oh, if I'm curious, it'll kill me, right? And it's like, no, 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 curiosity is where the opportunity is. Well said. Love it.
0: That's great. Yeah. I, I was curious to wonder if I could uh, make it through like uh, three and a half hours of live streaming without having to go to the bathroom.
7: And now we know <laughs> I can. We don't want to know what sort of innovation you came up with that constraint. I just don't want to know what sort of innovations you had to come up with there though, David. All right. <laughs> Let's leave that offline. Yeah. <laughs> I, I,
0: all natural. Don't worry. All
7: right. Good. Good. <laughs> Good to hear. Well, uh, I'm curious what you've learned, David, in, in this experience. Is this your first time to try this, and what is what have you learned in the in the process?
0: No, this is this is the fourth year for my for my Christmas Eve live stream. And and the and the reason that this show originally came about was in the uh, in the arrangement with uh, with my ex and the children is they always go to her place on Christmas Eve, and then. On Christmas Day, I go over to my in-laws and meet up with all of them for the big feast. And then I take the kids back to my place. And then the next morning, we do our Christmas morning gifts and all that kind of stuff. And so I would always be here on Christmas Eve with you know, an empty house. So I thought, oh, I'm going to do a special online. I'm going to invite a bunch of my you know, guests from the podcast and stuff to come and talk with me. Um, this year has been a bit of a challenge because I planned this under the assumption that Everything was going to happen the way it normally does but of course now my kids are teenagers and somehow have this idea that they get to run their lives um and so throughout this entire day not only have i not had to use the bathroom but i've been listening in the background as hordes of teenage children run up and down the stairs go to my son's room go to the basement daughter comes in and out the front door other people arrive to pick up kids and leave and uh, the whole time i'm just wondering if the mic's picking any of it up because (laughs) it's been very distracting i can tell you um but uh this is the new normal for the next few years until these kids get out into their own places i guess this is how we live i mean rick you've got some older kids Is, is this pretty much how it goes
8: Pretty much. But see, my my office is in the basement and their their bedrooms are on the second floor. So and one's working now and the other one, he's just been home for two days. So he's kind of chilling out a bit. But yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. All right. So. So, yeah, that's how this evolved. It's it's uh, a chance to uh, get together with people to talk about what we've seen, what we have coming forward. And um, and to create some extra stuff for people to enjoy over the holidays, because this is the time of year when people have those long car drives. And I always imagine, you know, some person who's interested in business uh, making their young kids listen to it on a four hour car drive. And it, for some reason, it just makes me smile. I just think, yeah, the I'm the, because those children don't want to hear it. But something that's said today is going to plant the wonderful entrepreneurial seed that's going to let those kids blossom into wonderful providers of jobs for their communities. And it's all gonna be good. And it's just part of that, what I can do for the universe.
7: You know, um, I I just love that you're doing that. And honestly, you know, we've been talking about constraints driving innovation. Here you are with, uh, you have an afternoon on Christmas Eve and you turn it into, some some people might turn that into a bottle of liquor and a bag of potato (laughs) chips, but David C. Barnett, turns it into an incredible experience for not only yourself, but all of me and, and Rick and many others and and all of our listening audience and and much to the chagrin of the little kids in the backseat of somebody's car somewhere. Uh, so I just think that's awesome. And who knows? Who knows what sort of entrepreneurial sparks you're causing to, to form, to glow in the minds of those little five and six-year-olds in the backseat of the car wishing they were listening to Paw Patrol or something like that? that
0: well, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's true.
7: You know, there's a book I just read with my daughter. Uh, it's it's uh, a book that I've, uh, I'll pass along to, to you guys. Uh, and I don't know about every book that, that this author has put out, but I do like the... There's a series called The Tuttle Twins and their spectacular business and their spectacular show business. So the book is called The Tuttle Twins and their Spectacular Show Business. And it's a little book about how a two little... A boy and a girl twins um, start a business. And okay. it's, it's written for maybe someone in their, some, someone between like second and fourth grade. Okay. And I just thought it was great. Like there's, there's a little section in there on shark tank. They call it the shark pool. They talk about raising capital. They talk about, um, you know, borrowing from grandma, you know, cause she, she has some money to give and she becomes an investor. Uh, they have to talk about price structure and profit. They talk about the competition. Uh, I thought. If there's ever a book that's well written enough for a second grader to understand how to deal with the price, you know, uh, elasticity and supply and demand and competition, and uh, but do it in such a way that that got my little six year old actually interested to start her business, uh, I had to pass it along. I think these uh, little kiddos uh, and the entrepreneurs of the future might just save this whole place.
0: I, I love it when people. Uh, put out that kind of thing. There, uh, there, I know that there's other uh, books like that out there. I once, um, I once read one, uh, and it was two squirrels, and it was it was actually put out by a past client of mine, and I had shared that in an email. And uh, about two squirrels that's that set up a business in in a similar kind of way, and and I think it's great that people are making an effort to have that sort of impact. Um, and it's you know. Really, obviously, it's up to parents to like go seek out that kind of material to 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 expose their children to, and it's great to see that these tools are are out there for people to find.
7: Yeah, it's it's. Uh, I don't think it's going to be at least it's not going to be required reading in most schools, which uh, is a shame. Yeah, which is a shame. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, at the same time, constraints drive innovation. So, you know, for the parents that are aware of content and the ability to help your children look. Look, either you're gonna grow up thinking that you're just a tennis ball floating down the gutter of life, and everything gets handed to you, or you fall down into the gutter, and you know you're you're gonna consider yourself a victim, or you're gonna find a way to swim upstream. And I yeah. think what I love about being a business owner, and what I love about seeing uh, David, you, and, and many of the entrepreneurs you surround yourself with, and business investors, is we're not taking life lying down. You know, we're gonna say, all right, what are we doing today to become? Not the thermometer of our environment, but the thermostat of our environment. What can we do in our financial life? What can we do in our business life? What can we do in our fitness, our marriage, whatever it is, whatever, you know, our relationships, our friendships, our our spiritual life. How can we engage this thing called life and all of its abundance um, in a way that isn't um, dictated from on high, but becomes something from within that helps you feel a sense of agency?
0: I love that. I love that uh, thermostat versus thermometer. That's great. I'm going to remember that.
7: Well, on a day like today, uh, where the, uh, the, the weather is frightful, uh, you got to create your own environment.
0: What, what is the Chicago weather like today? We've been hearing about the weather from all over the place today.
7: Well, it's, uh, it's grilling weather. We got the volleyball net out and it's negative 35 wind chill, uh, Fahrenheit. So what would that be? That'd be like negative 3000 Celsius, I think.
0: Probably. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's raining here and it still hasn't turned to negative yet but um it's going to be a mess when it does because it's I think all going to stick everywhere
7: we get it and then a bit, about a day or two later you'll get it is that right so that how that yeah. works Difficult. yeah pretty much Rick, yeah. Where, where do you live uh not far from dave on the east coast of canada okay great yeah. Yeah. well i'm sorry in advance if uh if we send you anything terrible for christmas day i hope it's a, a beautiful white christmas though well, I know you're just
8: volleying it further because you didn't create it. So that's,
7: that's, right. <laughs> that's
0: right. Guys, this is this has been awesome, and um, and I I I think I'm going to wind this up, and uh, we're going to start to say our goodbyes. But I want to thank you both for joining me here at the very end. Um, Rick always gets the last slot because from the very beginning he's proven to never want to leave.
8: I so never our- leave, man. Listen, so I, I just schedule. schedule them
0: for the end.
8: Well, the the reason I never leave is every other year except this year I wore the Santa hat like Mark's wearing today, and I have a beer. And today I don't have either, so I'm just hanging out. I'm I'm on vacation as of yesterday, and I was like, well, Dave wants me there, I'll be there, and we'll <laughs> chat and meet some interesting people, and and then when you want to kick me off, then I'll go home. <laughs>
0: And and Mark, I invited you along this year, and you've been you've been a guest on my show, going back like four years, I think. You've you've been on my show wow. quite a few times, and um, talking about the bank on yourself insurance program, the the style of policies that allow people to build uh, build equity value that is always guaranteed to go up in value, that is you know provides liquidity whenever someone wants access to it. And I I wanted to invite you back just to wish you a Merry Christmas and to to say thank you for being a sponsor this year.
7: Yeah, thank you. And I look forward to what's possible next year together. And David, we need to get you back for round two. You've only been on my show one time, so I think the scales are in your favor to come on back over. Um, So again, thank you for having me on today. Thank you. It's great to meet you, Rick.
8: Same here.
0: And Rick, for people that want to learn more about about what you're doing, what's the best place for them to find you online?
8: Uh, Wizardofads.org. Uh, is their website for the Wizard of Ads family. I, I'm in, I'm one of the partners in there. Uh, you can find me on all the social media, just Rick Nicholson, and it won't be hard to find me. And uh, yeah, and if you want to email me, well, you can get my contact info. So it's ricknicholson369 at gmail.com, but
0: yeah. Awesome. And Mark, um, if people want to see the, any of those old programs, uh, you know, the, all the different appearances that you made, and, and you and I also recorded recently, about an hour long webinar style presentation about how the bank on yourself program works. Um, Basically, who is it for? I don't wanna say everybody, but like who typically are the people that benefit the most from looking at these programs?
7: Well, that's a great question. It's, It's, you're right. It's not a perfect fit for everyone. I'd say if you're a business owner looking for more control, more certainty, more confidence that you're gonna have more money next year than you have this year, if you're tired of opening up your you know your RSP or your 401k or other accounts and always you know being upset with what you're seeing uh or if you just need liquid access to money i think the um best website to go to is what is it newbankingsolution.com yep.
0: newbankingsolution.com we Perfect. we've got all of the past videos and the new webinar embedded there so people can see all of that on one page uh and can uh click to sign up for a quick 15 minute chat with you um, and and actually see what it might look like for them.
7: Yeah, we've had the great privilege of chatting with folks from Canada down to you know the southern tip of Texas, actually, from that website. Uh, and it's been a phenomenal conversation starter for a lot of folks to kind of get ex- exposed to a strategy they may not have heard before, but it's been around for generations. So thanks again, yep. David, and I'm looking forward to 2023. Awesome. All right, fellas. Have a great day, and uh, and I hope Santa finds
0: you all, and and uh, you have lots of time with your friends and family. All right, thanks again.
8: Merry Christmas, Dave. All right, bye Merry guys. Christmas. Bye.
0: So, how can you learn more about buying, selling, financing, and managing small and medium sized businesses? Easy. Head over to my blog site at davidcbarnett.com. You'll find hundreds of articles and videos, all for free. You'll find links to my books and online courses. And you can sign up for my email list and get emails covering topics that interest you and be notified of new videos. Special thanks go to today's video sponsor, Mark Willis of Lake Growth Financial. Mark helps people better manage their personal wealth and business finances through the bank on yourself insurance strategy. This is something I've done personally and have gotten lots of positive feedback from people I've worked with over the years. Go to newbankingsolution.com to find a playlist of all the interviews I've done with Mark and to learn more about the advantages of these programs. While there, sign up to arrange a conversation about what this solution might look like for you. This episode of Small Business and Deal Making is brought to you by smbpodcastnetwork.com. The Network is a collection of podcasts and shows from around the internet which focus on bringing you interviews with amazing guests who share actionable advice, ideas, and information for small and medium-sized business owners and entrepreneurs. Visit www.smbpodcastnetwork.com to find more great shows and easily subscribe to be notified of new episodes. It's a great way to discover quality content. And if you've discovered us today via the network, then I hope you're enjoying the show and will consider subscribing directly so you never miss any one of our great
5: episodes.